Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, even in the age of COVID-19. And we are so excited to have on the air um, some folks, uh, scholars, that are going to be a part of this wonderful um uh, I guess virtual conference um, that everyone was looking forward to. And we're so happy that uh, it is still happening. Um, the really wonderful um, Adrasa or um, the African and Diasporic Studies Religious African and Diasporic uh, Religious Studies Association conference, and it's gonna, it was going to be in New Orleans, but now it's going to be virtual. And we have on the air. Um, Dr. Funlayo E. Wood Menzies, who is the founding director, along with uh, two other presenters, Dr. Uh, Kira Malika Daniels um, and Mr. Uh, Stephen Hamilton. And so before we um, read their bios, perhaps uh, we'll have Dr. Funlayo talk about sort of what um, Adrasa is and um, and how, and when it is, and how people can get connected, and and then we'll just roll right into um, reading more about who they are. Um, but maybe I'll just start re- with your bio completely, um, since it's so short, <laughs> Doctor Funlayo, um, the, the versions that I'm reading, um, and people can read the longer versions online. So uh, Doctor Funlayo um, is a uh, besides being the founder director of Adrasa, is a postdoctoral fellow at UC Santa Barbara a specialist in Ifa Orisha, Yoruba Indigenous Religion. She is the founding director, as we already mentioned, of, of this wonderful organization. And um, also of um, Ashe Ari, and Ifa Orisha Temple and Spirituality Learning Center. And where is that? Good morning, Wanda. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Well, I'm located right now in Santa Barbara, um, and so the temple moves with me as I move. But uh, (laughs) we will be looking to uh, break ground and establish a a permanent home within the next couple of years. But this academic life has kept me on the road, so right now the temple moves with me where I move. (laughs) Right. 
Yes, yes. But thank you so, so much for having us. We are really, really excited about the ADRSA conference, which is coming up next Friday. And um, we thought that, you know, we it's always a wonderful time. Every conference is, is great. But especially, you know, this year, um, of course, our in-person conference was interrupted by the current challenge that we're facing with the COVID-19. And, um, you know, the spirits wouldn't just wouldn't allow us to cancel the event. And so uh, we were moved to move it online. And so we are just looking forward to having the whole community with us to discuss these really important traditions and to come together in a moment where we can be collective and also um, discuss our healing and moving forward after this moment together, because this is definitely um, something unprecedented in our lifetimes. There's a lot of stress happening. There's a lot of, uh, you know, disappointment and feelings as things are being canceled. And so we wanted to be that array of sunshine in the midst of that and really give folks something to continue to look forward to. Mm, yes, yes. Well, it's definitely going to be a, a ray of sunshine next weekend. It's going to be really, really awesome because I, I hold fondly my memory of the one conference that I was able to attend um, at Harvard in Boston. Yes. And um, it was just so phenomenal. It was just, oh, it was just really, really great. Just sort of being in in the company of of so many people that um, you know come to you know their spiritual path, um, which I think there's only one path. There's just different ways of getting there, right? I mean, it seems like That's we're right. all That's right. we're you know we're all saying the same thing. We just have different ways of saying it, and That's and then right. to be in the room and everyone is acknowledging that. And, That's you know, right. in the world, we That's don't always right. hear it, particularly African spirituality. It is not acknowledged. But African right, spiritual right. traditionalists acknowledge the other traditions. And so, so, you know, we sort of get into that whole thing around colonialism, and that is because of the arrogance, you know, of, of these folks that were coming, you know, to our motherland and acting as if, right. you know, you know, they were like, Bringing something new, and it's like no, <laughs> you know we have no. We've been we we the originators and creators of everything on the planet, the first people. So come on now, <laughs> first exactly. concepts of God and all of that. And so that's really why we founded the ADRSA. So the organization was founded back in 2012 uh, when myself and Dr. Daniels were then grad students at Harvard, and we founded it because. Um, of the stigma and of the ways in which African spirituality is often marginalized, even within the field of religious studies and within the academy. And Mm -hmm. so we um, came together and had a symposium with uh, various scholars and practitioners, and that's been another big point for us is to include the community, to include practitioners in these conversations so that it's not just academics talking to themselves, but that the community can really feel like they are reflected And also, as many of us are scholar practitioners ourselves, it was important for us to create a space where we feel like we can be our entire selves, where we don't have to leave our practitioner hat at the door and just be academics or vice versa, but where both parts of what we represent are really celebrated because that is the true nature of African spirituality is integration, right? You spoke about um, our systems coming together, and the truth is 
the roots of our system are the same. The roots of our system is reverence for life, is reverence for the ancestors, and is belief and knowledge, not even belief, but understanding that we have the power to affect the energies in the world. And so as long as we all understand those things, whether we call them Orisha, Bosum, Lua, Fulta, or any other name, we know that we're talking about the same thing. So it, it is really beautiful. Um, we really, uh, really enjoy bringing together the scholars and the practitioners and so that the practitioners can see themselves reflected by people who are a part of their community. Because historically, a lot of the research around African spirituality has been done by people who were not necessarily members of the community. And so, of course, you know, how you speak about yourself is different than how you speak about a stranger, right? And so we really relish being uh, members of our communities and being representatives of our communities and see our scholarship as activism as well in terms of bringing to light the beauty and the intellectual depth and uh, philosophical depth of these traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you definitely have all of the accolades, you know, um, they give you, ref, you know, recognition in in these other circles. You know, you definitely recognize, you know, in 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 the indigenous circles, indigenous meaning those of us that um, that honor, you know, African traditions and African spiritual traditions. Whether or not we were raised in that, we still recognize and value that. But then others <laughs> outside of of these circles might not. But because you right. have, you know, these Western um, uh, sort of uh, affirmations in insofar as academic affirmations, like a PhD from Harvard, like really, whoa, and uh, an MA, and you know, a PhD in Harvard, you know, and an MA in history, right, and an MA in history from City College of New York, and yes, uh, shout out to my hometown, yeah. send some love there right now, yes, yeah, lots of love, yeah, yeah. New York, uh, Chicago, Detroit, New Orleans. Yes, yes, mm. yes. Yeah, and, yes. and where we are right now, um, we have the highest number of any state, right? In California. Right, in California, yeah, yeah. No, this mm-hmm. is this is really a moment and it's a moment where our uh traditional medicine is important as well. I mean, we've had one thing that has been so beautiful that I've seen happening is traditionalists speaking out and sharing uh, their herbal recipes and sharing their spiritual knowledge to show that, listen, this is relevant in every moment. It has always been relevant, and this is why our traditions survived the Middle Passage, why they have survived for thousands of years up to the present through our ancestors, because they are relevant. They heal uh, the bitter cola, which is used um, in the Ifa Orisha tradition as an offering for Shango and Oya is also, of course, very good for the body as a tonic. And so it's been one of the things that traditionalists uh, in Nigeria have been suggesting that people uh, use uh, during this uh, COVID epidemic in order to strengthen the immune system. Um, and so we can see just the connections to, to every part of our lives and, and to what's going on right now as well. And that is a 
another concern of the ADRSA to have the world understand the value and um, the relevance of Africana traditions across our entire society in the same way that we understand how we can get value from Greek and Chinese philosophy, even if we're not Greek or Chinese. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, you are, you know, really, really well published. Do you want to talk about any of, of your publications? Um, um, I, I told you that just to prepare for our conversation um, I I watched the uh, <laughs> uh, the really wonderful um, uh, Sacred Journeys um, that was on uh, you know PBS and where you um, where Lee I mean I don't know I wish you could have led the journey as opposed to um, the person who does um, because oh, right yeah I just don't, I just don't like the presentation <laughs> yeah it's like oh well you know when you know yeah. we, we go to um, Oshogbo, uh, Oshun um, Nation, uh, Oshun, um, let's see, what is the language there? Um, uh, Oshun State, um, yeah, for the wonderful ritual um, to um, to the river, um, you know, yearly, and um, yeah, and so um, and so you're you're there with some other folks. Are are you in in the film too, um, uh, Doctor um, uh, Kira? Um, are you in the film? I'm, I'm not in the film, uh, but okay. one of the things I will say, and first of all, greetings to you, Wanda. Greetings, Stephen and Dr. Funlayo. It's such a pleasure to be joining you all here today. Thank you for the invitation. Um, and I'll say very briefly uh, that one of the things that I love about having friends and colleagues in the same field is that when I teach, it means I can turn to very serious scholars and researchers who also happen to be my friends. Um, and mm-hmm. so I've drawn from some of the resources that Dr. Funlayo has been featured in, uh, whether that's clips with Morgan Freeman talking about the nature of God and the importance of divination or pilgrimage sites with regards to the Oshun Grove and the environmental devastation that's taking place all over the world that's affecting our religious traditions. I think it's a very powerful thing to be able to share these resources with my own students and to learn from them myself as well. Mm, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was a, a beautiful project to be involved in. And again, to tell you the importance of advocacy, because our uh, PhD advisor, shout out to him, Dr. Jacob Alupona, who has been a really strong advocate for African religions in the academy, was approached um, by PBS. Uh, about this documentary, and initially when they approached him, they approached him with the idea of doing uh, an episode on Christianity in Africa, um, although this the series, this is a six-part series, and to give you some, you know, <laughs> just an idea, two of the other episodes were already about Christianity. And so uh, Dr. Olapona said to them, no, you know, if you're going to do Africa, you need to do something African. And so um, something indigenous. And he connected me with the the producers of the show. And and that's how that happened. And so, um, again, like, like, um, it is really important for many of us. And I know... um, Dr. Daniels and and Stephen so the same way about you know our work is is activism and advocacy also it goes beyond um, 
just learning and presenting, but really caring about, you know, our communities, how they're presented, caring about um, representing them well, caring about folks knowing that these traditions still survive and exist and thrive in the world right now and that they're not relics of the past. And so um, it was really beautiful to be able to participate in that and also um, to participate in uh, the series, uh, The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. And again, for me, the real significance of those appearances is that it helped to put our African indigenous spirituality and diaspora spirituality on par with the rest of the world's religions. So in this series where religions are being explored, they're included there right alongside and just it's just to um, bring them out of this stigma that even many of us in the black community have had around them because of the things that, you know, we have been taught and to also understand them as modern forces and as forces that continue to affect life and our um, indigenous technologies. That's another thing. And especially right now, you know, we're looking like folks are like looking to return to some of those things. And um, that was one of the reasons we're so happy to have uh, Stephen Hamilton with us this year for the conference. He is, aside from being a phenomenal visual artist, Um, one of his major concerns is highlighting indigenous technology and his art and bringing that that in. And so that's just such a wonderful um, intersection and why art and spirituality, um, I'm so looking forward to his presentation on the connections between um, indigo dye, which maybe you can touch on for just a moment, and spirituality, right, and the ways that these regular things that we don't think of on a spiritual level have deep spiritual significance in African cultures. Mm. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot to hear you say that. And it's also an honor to be um, here with um, all of you, Um, uh, Dr. uh, Sunlayo and Dr. Daniels. It means um, so much to be a part of this uh, conference and also means um, so much just to be here and to be just in the presence of people who have dedicated so much of their academic um, and personal and spiritual lives into um, really exploring and highlighting um, uh, these African and African-based traditions. Um, as um, Dr. Fumayo, uh, uh explained, um, I'm, uh, the work that I do um, is very deeply rooted in um, traditional textile, um, traditional textiles of West Africa, specifically Nigeria and the Republic, and traditional Yoruba um, textile industries. Um, which are also shared amongst other related ethnic groups. So um, these are uh, indigo dyeing and uh, weaving traditions that are used by Yoruba women, um, but are also used by Edo, Igbo, Nupe, um, uh, Fon, like other um, ethnic groups um, across um, uh, southern Nigeria and um, uh, southern Dominican Republic. Um, and these technologies um, have a very important history, not only in the region, but also in the history of the Americas. So. Um, indigo um, dyeing has an ancient and very important um, uh, relevance to Yoruba people, specifically as a profession of goddesses. It's the profession of Lashon. It's a profession of Yamaja. Um, it's tied to powerful divine female forces. Um, and these uh, traditions um, that were used by Yoruba women, also by women um, across uh, West Africa, were very much exploited in the Americas during the transatlantic slave trade. So you see um, people from that region being captured and being 
forced to work in indigo plantations in the United States, in the Caribbean, um, in uh, uh, other parts of Latin America. And not only that, but the indigo dyed textiles that they were producing when the upright loom were um, important commodities for the procurement of goods um, and um, enslaved humans in West Africa. So Europeans were purchasing large amounts of these textiles that were made by these women um, and exchanging them for enslaved persons and also for gold and other um, materials. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it adds those objects, you know, as, um, you know, indigo and cotton uh, as uh, substances were very important um, to the history of the transatlantic slave trade, but um, them as uh, materials and as objects themselves are phenomenally important um, to the culture and the religious traditions of the Arab people. Uh, cloth, um, many of the textiles that these women were making, um, not only textiles that were made for export, but very important um, in, in rituals and customs associated with burials, marriages. Um, many of the textiles are religious textiles that themselves are imbued with um, special um, power. Cotton as a material, specifically white cotton, kijipa, uh, when undergone with uh, specific, when imbued with certain medicines and rituals become medicinal. Um, and all of this is uh, tied to the religious fabric of um, the Yoruba people. You know, as Dr. Woods would say, um, like the famous story of uh, the founding of Oshobo was actually the um, two founders of Oshobo uh, breaking um, Oshobo's indigo pots. So indigo was right. part of the Oshobo before there was an Oshobo. So you have mm. this um, profession which is the um which is the domain of um the goddess Oshun, which is also exploited um in the Americas. So this this um this tradition which is so deeply tied to Yoruba culture and also other cultures across West Africa. Um this divine profession which um has been being exploited in um American and you know Caribbean and Latin American uh plantations. And there's something so prof- profound about that. Um, yeah, uh, a history that's very important for us as Black Americans to understand and recognize that it was not only our labor and um, our bodies that were exploited, but also our minds and our knowledge bases that were exploited um, in the development of capitalism. So, um, a lot of my work uh, as an artist um, explores um, these things through the use of those materials, reclaiming them through practice. So, reclaiming um, traditional weaving and dyeing traditions through. Um, practice through going to Nigeria and learning them and practicing them, but also teaching them to people in my community. So a lot of the collaborative works that I have done um, have been focused on teaching these traditions to um, younger generations from my community in Boston. Um, So, yeah, these are things that are incredibly important. Again, uh, the traditions of weaving and dying cannot be removed from the religious and spiritual traditions of the other people. You know, these... um, Traditions, um, these worlds don't exist apart from each other. They're interwoven with each other. So you can't have a conversation about indigo and its relevance to Yoruba people without having a conversation about Ifa, without having a conversation That's about Russia. Right. So, That's um, right. So these, these are things that are, are very important um, to my work and that I try to cite whenever I'm talking to you about it and also when I'm teaching students. But these dyes themselves, are not only dyes, but they are sacred substances. They're used in creation. Yeah. Indigo is medicine. Um, and indigo is used to treat everything from um, measles, rashes, from um, measles sores, rashes. Um, women will take processed indigo and mix it with their oleles, their beans cake, uh, to shrink fibroids. 
um, stomach ulcers. Um, the same wow. thing with um, camwood uh, uh Many of the yellow dyes are used to treat um, uh, liver. Um, I used to treat uh, liver dysfunctions. Um, oh. Some of them are anti-malarials. So, like these, uh, these, these dyes that are used in West Africa also have very important um, medicinal um, purposes and uses as well. So, um, all of these things are tied together. They don't exist as separate entities. They're tied to the spiritual and also um, the uh, medicinal and, and scientific practices of people in, right. in these regions. Um, so I'm glad that you highlighted that, and I'm I'm very again I'm honored to be able to have discussions about that with with No, yes, who, we are you know, honored are to have you. Oh my goodness, I, you got me. I'm I'm ex- I'm so excited from that little preview. I'm like, wait a minute, now don't give it all away yet. Don't give it all away. But no, this is that is exactly why it's always been important for us from the founding of the ADRSA. We have always had a featured artist each year, and it is because we recognize the importance of the intersection between art and spirituality and even the problematic nature of the category of art as it's seen in the West, right, as something just Mm -hmm. to be consumed as opposed to um, a ritual technology and material culture and the importance of it, and that is... um, Dr. Daniels' important work is in that area of material culture and its integration within spirituality. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping she can speak about that a little bit. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's such an integral part because as African peoples, our epistemologies are embodied. We don't deal with disembodied knowledge just floating in the air. It always has to have an anchor, a substrate, something to support it. And so we work very closely and deeply with material culture. And so artists and artisans are indispensable to uh, African spiritual practice. Dr. Daniels, you want to tell us a little about that? Sure. Well, um, one of the things that I'll say is that I had the opportunity to meet uh, Mr. Stephen Hamilton at the Museum of Fine Arts here in Boston, and I had seen some of his work before, but I had a chance to become more familiar with his training and with his practice um, of art production, and I think one of the things that moved me the most was Um, Stephen, your investment in the next generation. I think one of the greatest disservices that we can do for ourselves is forget that, as you were saying, we were enslaved not simply because we were bodies, but because we were skilled technicians Mm -hmm. of trades and practices, right? right? We were Mm -hmm. taken as enslaved peoples from Senegambia because we were rice cultivators. We were taken from different parts of the former Malian empire because we were weavers, right? So we had these skills and techniques and to think that, you know, oh, Africans were just running around worshiping trees is not only incorrect, is not only a falsehood, but also suggests that we didn't have knowledge bases to share. And I think it's really important for our next generation to be taught, you know, we weren't necessarily all kings and queens in Africa, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we had profound knowledge. Right. We had profound knowledge bases in oral traditions. Many of us are familiar or have heard the term griot, right, the West African griot. They were storytellers, but they were also family tree and heritage keepers. They knew the stories of people's lineage. And so 
I say all of it to say that's one of the reasons that I find um, the arts to be so powerful. Literature is a really moving way of experiencing another culture, another world. But the reality is that not everybody has access to libraries and bookstores or online Kindles. And so to me, the visual arts and the performing arts is a type of art form that's accessible to everyone, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, something that we can all recognize, a dance step, a particular song. If we don't know the lyrics or if we don't know the movements, it's something that perhaps we can recognize um, as coming from our number of different cultures. My own work focuses on sacred art traditions and ritual healing traditions. There have been a lot of really interesting studies based on the medicinal plants that are used in healing rituals in Africa, Central Africa is where I do my research, and in Congo specifically, and in the Caribbean, Haiti is where I do my other research. Um, But there's been less attention focused on this really important uh, role of bringing the ancestors in to bless the medicine, to diagnose the problem, um, and to prescribe the right treatment mm. so that people can heal. Mm-hmm. And it's these sacred bundles, it's these ritual rattles, it's these divination implements that allow us to make contact with that spirit world so that we can sing the songs and so that we can dance the dances, so that we can honor the ancestors and bring healing to ourselves. Um, so that's a little bit about my work. And one thing that I'll say briefly here that I really felt quite excited about for this conference in particular uh, was the notion of balance. You know, I think that there are um, a number of different world traditions that really emphasize the importance of the divine masculine. But indigenous African traditions and African diasporic traditions, along with some of our First Nations peoples of the Americas and certain Asian traditions, we also highlight the divine feminine. And I think one of the things that so many healers, priests and priestesses of Africana traditions would emphasize is we are experiencing unprecedented global traumas and global as well as, you know, global and local meaning Mm -hmm. uh, crises in part because the world is imbalanced. The universe is out of sync. And how do you restore that balance? You restore that balance by remembering what it is you were taught by your ancestors and by your elders. You restore that balance by recognizing that everything is, you know, not singular, but rather of multitudes. And so to honor the divine feminine, we also honor the divine masculine. And that's one of the things that we want to emphasize in this coming conference next Friday is the importance of balance in restoring harmony to the universe. That's right. Right. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you so much. I have a couple of um, follow-up comments and questions. Um, uh, Dr. Daniels, I was... um, uh wanted to let our audience know that you are a um uh leadership council founding member of Adrasa and uh <laughs> and that That's and true. that you are yeah yeah and and I'd like for you and uh Dr. Kinlayo to talk a minute about just sort of how you know um you know just talk about the founding of such a wonderful organization because you would think that something like this you know, organization would already exist, but it didn't. And um, and and so, um, you know, people came from throughout the country and throughout the world, you know, to be in communion with one another and, and people that didn't know anything about these these traditions. Um, 
um, at at these wonderful conferences. So it's really great, you know, that it's it is continuing. That the ancestors said no, don't. You know, everything is being canceled everywhere, <laughs> but <laughs> but the ancestors told you like no, don't cancel. <laughs> so it's like right. okay. We are just shift, and and in the shift, it's so amazing, yeah, that you're gonna have dance classes in a virtual setting. Like, whoa, that's gonna be so cool. You're gonna show a film, like, oh my gosh. And and speaking of films, um, another another comment, sort of question, and then uh, Stephen, you can uh, continue, Mr. Hamilton, you can continue, continue, um, you know, talking about this. But I was just sort of um, the whole idea of the textiles and in your uh, is it Etan project? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I'm gonna mispronounce it, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Vunilayo correct my pronunciation. But um, it's uh, Etan, so um, it's that that's that's the it means it has a very complex meaning, but it means um, usually it's translated to mean history or story. But the root of it is to illuminate or to shed light. So like mm. it's like to to spread light. So nice. it's like That's an nice. idea of like you know uh, uh, learning something or telling a story or recounting history is literally an illumination. It's literally bringing mm. light um, to to sure. to something. Um, and it's it's also um, defined as the embodiment of all Yoruba knowledge. So like mm. not just history nice. but um, spirituality, music, everything. Because like again these things. Are um, woven, interwoven. They are woven into each other. There's no concrete line between them. They are all, you know, um, intermingling together. So that project right. was um, very much an intermingling of a lot of different things. It um, borrows from um, Ifa, specifically um, Oshitura, which is uh, um, the story of um, the essay, is specifically from when the Irumura descended of, um, into um, the universe. Um, and it was 16 um, and then Ashon was the 17th among them. Uh, so um, what ended up happening is, you know, a very <laughs> a very early example of misogyny is that they um, discounted Ashon, and when they discounted Ashon and did not include them in um, creating the world, everything fell apart. Um, but it's a profound uh, story because it's often implied that she deliberately Spoiled um, their spoiled the sacrifices of the other deities because it was her right. It was her specific right, as they had discounted her. Um, and then um, it's also implied um, again, and like also throughout the story, is that they have to beg her forgiveness in order for um, creation to continue unabated. But the story borrows the the narrative devices take from Ifa, they take from Oriki as the deities are creating the world. It borrows directly from recorded Oriki praise poetry. Um, uh, for uh, the Orisha, um, and the work incorporates all of these different elements of um, borrowing from like nerd. I'm a huge nerd, so it borrows from like comic book culture, but also um, it's painted on Adire. So each of the panels is Adire that I made and that I prepared, and then I painted each of the panels on. Um, so it's also melting together those art forms as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really beautiful a beautiful project that um we're excited to 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 support uh, Mr. Hamilton and sharing and um in terms of you know coming I mean it really represents the ethos of the organization in terms of really looking and appreciating and understanding Africana spirituality holistically on every level um 
we when we founded the organization, the real concern, the reason why it was so important was because oftentimes as scholars of Africana religions, we found ourselves in one of two positions. Either we were in religion conferences, which often did not make space for Africana religions, or if we were in African studies conference spaces, those spaces often uh, focused more on other types of issues, um, you know, especially in African studies. Unfortunately, a lot of the focus is still on what is sometimes known as trauma porn, this idea of disease Absolutely. and war and political instability. Mm-hmm. And HIV and, and poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and that's all that, you know, folks in some of those areas want to discuss, not the, and so that's really why, you know, it is very important that, the community be the ones to produce this. And that's what's so special and so uh, unique about our organization as well as um, our sister organization, Kosamba, of which Dr. Daniels is the vice president, which is an organization specifically for the study of Haitian Vodou, because Vodou has been specifically and particularly marginalized within the world of Africana religions. And so um, it's really important to us to you know, break through those stigmas, again, mostly for ourselves. You know, we can't control in terms of what the outside world thinks and, you know, Eurocentric world and and all of that. But in terms of ourselves as people of African descent, to really understand that these traditions hold so much for us holistically. They hold uh, historical knowledge. They hold artistic knowledge. They hold medicinal knowledge. They hold every kind of knowledge for us and that they are our birthright and that the mm-hmm. reason why they were maligned and stripped from us is precisely because of their power, because we were being placed into a situation where it was advantageous for the powers that be for us to be disempowered. And so this was a large way of stripping Absolutely. us from our power. And so mm-hmm. for us, this is about way more, although, you know, we enjoy the, the, the presentations and the, you know, the writing and all of that. The real thing for us is the real liberation of these traditions and them retaking their rightful places as the centers of our philosophical world, right? As the centers of the way we see ourselves, as the centers of the way we see the world so that, uh, as uh, Mr. Hamilton mentioned, that when we look at a plant, when we look at indigo, when we look at something, we, we see beyond just the color, right? We see beyond just that mm-hmm. basic utility, but we see its fullness as, first of all, a living being. It's a plant. Starting mm-hmm. there, there's a proverb that says if there's no plant, there are no deities, right? So really embracing the world, embracing the idea of um, caring for the world, this is an ethos that runs throughout, you know, our traditions. And so it was um, extremely important for us to be able to discuss all of these things holistically and unapologetically with the idea Mm -hmm. of the liberation of people of African descent in mind that this is not just for performance and presentation, but this is really for us to take and use as we move forward. Right. Yeah. Um, wow, I've got all these notes, um, but some of them, you've already spoken to it <laughs> in your comments. But, yeah, the whole idea of how African traditional 
uh, spirituality is is a holistic um, in in its approach. In that, um, as you mentioned, uh, Stephen, that it's um, you know it's the textiles, it's it's the metal work, you know, it's the storytelling, it's um, you know it's the dance, it's the music. It's 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 all it's all the same thing, you know. Um, everything we mm-hmm. do as African people is worship, right? That's <laughs> um, when right. When I think about that mm-hmm. wonderful film um, that was produced by a director out of New York, you know, your hometown, I think Brooklyn. Uh, there's a um, there's an African spiritual um, community center in in New York, um, and I don't remember the name of it. I think it's in Brooklyn, and and there was a uh, film Tyler. called. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the spirits dance mambo, and in that film, yeah. the uh, uh, the the narrator was talking about how you know people think they're doing you know um, uh, what is that uh, you know they're just doing a fun dance, but like nah, they're they're praising African deities. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. <laughs> they just they mm-hmm. just don't know it. Yeah, and and then I was also um, you know I thought. I was I was reminded of the work of Julie Dash, and and our folks in the um, Georgia Sea Islands in her wonderful work right. Daughters of the Dust, mm-hmm. and and how you know all throughout the film, which is so lovely. Um, I mean, it's such a classic. Um, not only were these women and men speaking, you know, an indigenous language, you know, um, that was a combination of African. Uh, language and and the language of of the region where they 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 were brought um they were also you know working you know dyeing that fabric you know using their 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 african technologies here in this this land um mm-hmm. you know to make you know to make material for sale you know for for, for their captors and then lastly <laughs> i was also sort of thinking about um just sort of uh, the whole idea of our ancestors, ancestral tradition and traditions, and and how 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 these things have shown up in in various stories. Um, I was thinking um, about Brother um, Suleiman Sese out of Mali, and in his film um, uh, Yaline uh, or Brightness, he talks about you know Africans being captured um, and. And 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 sort of the value and what what that meant to Africa to have their light taken away, you know, like that. And then I was also thinking right. about sort of the literature of Amos Tutuola, uh, who was born in uh, Abia Ketu. I was so excited to go there. I went to Nigeria for the first time a couple of years ago. It was so exciting. Um, and one of the places I went to was that big mountain made out of rock, which reminded me of of, of Zimbabwe. Um, you know, sort of um, the way that in different areas you you have these rocks sitting on rocks, which is like so amazing. Like, why is it? How is it sitting there and not falling off, right? Um, and and then I was also thought about you know his uh, uh, my life in the bush of ghosts, which tells the story of what happened. You know, when when our ancestors got lost in that bush. You know when we were taken from our families and from our homes, and and how initially we weren't recognized, and then finally someone like, oh, that's so and so, you know. Sort of when we return, you know, the doors and overturn, and then we return. So, and then uh, lastly, I was thinking about uh, Maladome Patrice Somme from Burkina Faso, and his story of mm-hmm. water and spirit, which is a, a current instance of someone being kidnapped. But because it wasn't so long ago, 
he was able to find his way back home, and and so he wasn't lost to his community. So anyway, um, I was wondering if if you all could continue talking, and I wanted to ask. Um, uh, let's see, let me go back to my other notes, <laughs> Dr. Kira. If you could talk more about about our ancestral traditions and how that's so important, because I was just thinking, you know, sort of like that Sankofa concept, how you know, talking about our strengths, you know, that is that is the the sort of seems like one of the principles or the values of Adrasa of the um of this particular conference and your organization that, you know, we it seems like you um are interested in the strengths, not, you know, sort of um um I guess um, you know, talking about about things that, you know, um are to talk about weaknesses and how we don't have enough and, and we have everything we need, as you were saying, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, so thank you for your question. I think what you're talking about is so important because it, it means a shift from the language of deficiency. We don't mm-hmm. remember, we don't have, we don't own, we don't know to a language of you know, affirmation. Actually, we do have, actually, we do remember, actually, we continue to carry on our legacies and our traditions. Um, I'm so glad that Dr. Wood Menzies mentioned uh, our sister organization, Kosamba, uh, which I've been involved with since I was a graduate student. Um, I think one of the beautiful things about these two organizations is that we've really taken a stance not to be competitors, right, but to be real Mm -hmm. collaborators. Um, Kosamba was founded in 1997 um, as an organization dedicated to the study of Haitian Hodu, but it was very interested very early on in trying to expand that conversation uh, to thinking about other Africana traditions. When Adressa came uh, into being in 2012, as Dr. Woodmenzies was saying, um, you know, Dr. Woodmenzies had a different network, had a, a different network of scholar practitioners, of researchers who were more based in Yoruba traditions of Africa and the diaspora. And so I think they form really complementary organizations um, that are trying to accomplish many of the same goals in the sense of liberation and in the sense of disseminating true knowledge about our traditions. So I'm familiar with um, the Voodoo tradition of Haiti as my point of orientation. And I think one of the things that is so important to uh, share with this next generation and also with ourselves, with our peers, and also with our elders, is that many of the concepts that people talk about being Western have, in fact, deep roots in Africana traditions. So I'll give you another example from um, our upcoming conference, Honoring the Divine Feminine, Divine Masculine. There's this misconception that, oh, being gay or being queer is this thing that Westerners came up with. That's not true. That's not only not true on a biological level. There are people who are queer and have different gender identities and different sexualities all over the world. But we simply had different names for them. And we had different roles for these members of society. You have spirits who are married to multiple different other spirits, right? So in Haitian Voodoo, for instance, you have the spirit Yeljali Danton, who is the spirit of motherhood. She is a warrior who is said to have fought during the Haitian Revolution and who loves male spirits and female spirits. She loves both women and men, and she is the protectress of women who have endured domestic violence and abuse. What does it mean to have a black matriarch in the form of a goddess 
who is tending to those who are most vulnerable in our societies, right? Who is, in fact, modeled after a black version of the divine and who honors women who love women and who honors women who love men, who love people who are non-binary, right? I think this is such an empowering thing for us to learn about. I think this is such an important thing for us to learn about because it signals to us that, in fact, there are different ways of worshiping, that not all religion looks the same. You have Shango priests, uh, Kabiesi, you have Shango priests of Yoruba land in Nigeria who wear what might be considered in the West as women's clothes, right? Who fashion their hair in braids that resemble the hairstyles of women. Does this mean that they are not masculine? No. It means that they are honoring a king, you know, a divine king, a figure of the royal pantheon. And this is one way that their manifestation of devotion emerges. And so I think that that's something that we can really continue to teach ourselves is our traditions are diverse. Our traditions encompass so many of the complex realities that we humans live out every day. And we can turn to these traditions for strength and for courage and for wisdom about the challenges that we face today. To be told you're queer and you don't have any place in this religion, that's not exactly true in Africana tradition. No, it's complex. There are some Odu that will say certain things, other Odu that will say other things. Of course, prejudice remains. I don't want to romanticize things. But there is also precedence in our traditions for understanding that everybody has a different role to play and you know, experiences right. a different form of okay. design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe you could explain, um, Dr. Daniels, what you mean by Odu. Oh, I'm going to turn to my elders. <laughs> In essence, they are parables or stories connected to Ifa, the ritual corpus of Yoruba tradition. But let me turn to my elders here for, for more insight. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the beautiful yet... Um, complex beauty. One of the complex beauties of our traditions is that words have so many different meanings. Um, and it really speaks to the genius of our ancestors and how they recognize that we're referring to one thing. And this actually speaks very beautifully to what Dr. Daniels was just speaking of in terms of integration. Odu really at its base is the power of the womb. It is the power of creation. It is the seat of universal possibility. And so within the Ifa tradition, uh, the Yoruba Ifa tradition, the knowledge of all of Yoruba history, culture, medicine, divine knowledge, everything is encapsulated into what is called Odu. And there are 256 divisions of this energy of Odu that are expressed in various ways. And within those 256 divisions, we then get to the stories or itan, to the medicine, ogu, to um, the essay or verses and poetry. So this is, we're talking, if we were to write all of this down, it would be probably about 10 times the size of the Bible, we're talking a huge, huge, huge amount of information. And again, as we mentioned, embodied, right? So priests, in order to be a, a, a 
competent priest, one is expected to know in their mind at least eight verses of each of those 256 divisions of the Odu knowledge, right? You have to know that embody not only the verses, but also the medicines that go with it. Also, the way to make the soaps, the way to craft the, some mm-hmm. of the objects that might go with it, which objects need to be used uh, to instantiate certain rituals. So it, it, it goes deep. But the beautiful part in returning to, again, this idea of balance is that the energy itself references the energy of the womb. The womb, the pot, uh, Odu is, is likened to a pot, and that pot is like our womb because the, the womb has the power to create and bring forth life. But, of course, it can't do that without the divine masculine spark. And so that is why we have the idea of when you look at our traditions, there's always balance. There is a masculine and a feminine principle. You have Oya and Shango. You have Obatala and Yemu. You have uh, Orumila and Oshun. There's always uh, a male and female counterpart to, to represent the balancing of those energies and that we need the active factor, which tends to be that masculine factor, and then we need the nurturing and gestative factor, which tends to be that feminine factor, that place where things can grow and um, be nurtured and become come into their fullness. And so through those Uh, metaphors of action, we also kind of understand what our different roles are. And so as Dr. Daniels mentioned, although we may express uh, our masculinity and femininity in different ways, the meanings of it is different. The meanings of that expression is different depending on the context. And so as she mentioned with Shango, one of the things that comes across with his worshipers is that it's actually said that his worshipers are so manly that they can dress as women and that their masculinity will still shine through, right? And similarly, it is said that Shango has no daughters. So the, the, the female children who are devotees of Shango um, express their masculinity through their dress, right? So there's this idea of integration and this idea that we we understand that we all have a piece of each of these energies within us and that it takes the activation of all of that energy, its integration, and it's working together to make the universe flow, that we cannot, it can't work with only one or the other. And so that's why even as we thought about the um, the, the topic for the conference, at first, we, we were concentrating on the divine feminine, of course, because that's the part that's often dismissed when we're talking religions, especially the major religions that most folks are familiar with. But um, we said, no, we as Africans, it would be disingenuous of us to just make it about the divine feminine. We have to have that balance because that is what African spirituality is all about. And so understanding as well our mythologies and our stories as philosophies, right, and as ways, uh, as um, texts that can help us uncover our philosophical ideologies is is powerful and is something that uh, both Dr. Daniels and I are working on in our work that, you know, has been encouraged by our elder scholars 
and um, which is really, really important for us to understand, again, just to get to that value of the traditions and of their indigenous intrinsic knowledge that they hold. See, I, I hear dishes or something. Somebody, there's like dishes or oh, um, some kind of something's no. happening. Um, I'm hearing something. And and so um, anyway, this is live, so it's all this is going into the uh, the soundtrack <laughs> that I'm you will sorry. be sharing with others, I hope. Um, no problem. So we are at at time in like five minutes. So um, wanted to give you an opportunity to have some closing remarks, and uh, and then um, uh, Dr. Funlayo, if you could conclude after everyone else has had a chance to, you know, give some concluding remarks um, with how people can get tickets and make sure that they do not miss this um, uh, groundbreaking um, virtual conference on the 17th next week. So Yes, um, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, Dr. So, Daniels, uh, do you want to? Do you want to like give any closing remarks, and 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 then we'll we'll let you um, just sort of um, wrap everything up, Dr. Funlayo. Okay. Oh, sure. Well, I want to say thank you once again, Wanda, for the gracious invitation. Um, we remain so committed to the work of um, really allowing our communities to voice their own experiences. I think one of the things that I found so moving since my involvement with Adressa is um, creating space for scholars uh, who are trained in the academy and organic intellectuals, those who train themselves, right? Creating space for artists, creating space for independent researchers, creating space for practitioners. We always have a practitioner's roundtable so that we're making sure that we don't privilege only one form of knowledge that we do not you know, privilege only, for instance, book knowledge, but also the knowledge of our elders. Um, and that means different things because our elders, in fact, may be younger than us, but may have more experience in a particular ritual tradition. And it, it I think, for me, emphasizes and reminds us that all of us have something to share. All of us have something to contribute, whether we're artists, researchers, practitioners, um, and whether we combine yeah. those identities. Um, so that's something that I really look forward to um, in person and digitally in this iteration next Friday, April 17th. Really looking forward to having you all join us and partake in the sharing and also the distributing of sacred knowledge. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Hamilton, Stephen, um, would you like, do you have any closing closing words? Um, I, I just, again, um, I'm feeling incredibly grateful to be included um, in this conference and also to be included in this, um, um, in this uh, episode. Um, it's, um, it's an honor to um, be in spaces like this. As an artist um, and as an educator, I don't oftentimes have the opportunity to have these types of conversations um, with my peers, um, and it's just something that's incredibly crucial and something that's incredibly energizing um, to just be in a space where um, uh, we can have these types of conversations and to be in a space with people who understand the importance of all of these different, all of these different elements of um, practice. So whether that's 
you know, understanding, again, the spiritual practice and academic practice and artistic practice, that all of these things are interwoven and all of these things are, you know, all of these things flow um, together. And just to be also in just a space where, um, you know, there's so much um, rigor um, in all aspects of that practice. Um, and that's something that I'm looking forward to a lot, and that's something um, that, you know, makes me feel very affirmed to be a part of this space, with, um, especially with two scholars that I respect so much. Like, I respect um, uh, Dr. Daniels and Dr. Woods so much, like, as scholars, as um, practitioners, and just as, like, just awesome and amazing human beings. So to be um, included in um, a space where I get to work with them and also other scholars, scholars who are on that same wavelength um, is amazing. And I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, people who uh, attend um, this conference and people who are, are in that space, you know, who are um, looking at that space, even though um, they're doing so virtually, you know, have that same um, feeling. You know, I, I think that this work is incredibly important, and I'm, I'm very interested in continuing, continuing um, participation in it. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm just, thank you so much, uh, Wanda, and thank you so much, Dr. Daniels, Mr. Hamilton. I'm just excited, so, so excited. So in order to connect with us, um, listeners can visit adrsa.org. That's the African and Diasporic Religious Studies Association. And just click register now. And we have a sliding scale. We know that this uh, um, situation we're facing together has been challenging economically for some of our communities. So we have sliding scale registration available from as little as $5. Uh, pay what you can, and um, we are make, working to make it as close to a real conference experience as possible. So, yes, we will have uh, an after party online, right, after the conference <laughs> on Friday night, just with messaging with the DJ. We will have on Saturday online film screening as well as online uh, dance class from Key Ray Wellness. Uh, Brother Oludare, he is phenomenal, and he has just stepped up to the plate as soon as this whole crisis happened, he almost immediately started offering Orisha dance classes and song classes online, and it has just blown up, and it's phenomenal. Um, there's regularly over 100 people in his classes online. I mean, it's just beautiful. So we're excited to have him and um, to be together. So, again, adrsa.org can also join our mailing list to stay abreast of everything else that we are doing. And we hope to see many, many of you with us next week. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you all so much for, for joining us this morning to uh, uh, to talk about the conference, but to also talk about, you know, African spirituality and, and technologies and how, yes. you know, we have, we have so much, um, you know, within our DNA, within our, our cultural community, within our spiritual community to draw on That's sometimes right. when things get hard mm -hmm. uh, because, That's you know, right. we have a... Yeah, and, and we get through it. So we can look historically mm -hmm. and say, oh, yeah, we got through that, and we can say now That's we're going right. to get through this. And, and your mm -hmm. conference is a way to actually hear more about about these technologies and these tools that people can add to their 
you know, to their bag, you know, their medicine bag. That's there. right. That's Inkisi, right. You know, and whatever they're carrying. Know, too, especially <laughs> in this moment, I want us to recognize, and I have to give honor and to the ancestors of this land of the U.S. and the hoodoo tradition and the roots and yes, the understanding yes, that yes. we got mm-hmm. some smallpox, okay, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that we yeah. developed on the continent the first inoculations, right? So mm-hmm. this we 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 know about this. This is not new to us. We're the first people, so we've experienced everything there is to experience on the planet. Understand mm-hmm. that our traditions hold the keys to our healing. We have healed ourselves mm-hmm. before, and we will heal ourselves mm-hmm. again. And so, you know, just see. especially in this moment, mm-hmm. we send out so much love, comfort, peace, heart, energy. I send out comfort to my own family. I've had deaths in my own family you know, we've mm-hmm. all been touched by this. And so we just um, lift everyone up in so much love and so much light. Mm-hmm. And we pray that you will come sure. together with us to spend a moment of celebration of our ancestors, celebration of our traditions, and real upliftment of our spirits together. Ashe. Ashe. Ibobo. Well, thank you so much. I'll see you this coming week, the 17th. All right. We'll look forward to <laughs> thank it. You. Thanks again, Wanda. Right. Thank take you care. so You're much. Welcome. Thank you. Take care, so everyone. Much. All right. Peace Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, is it Lee or Leah? It's Leah. Leah, Miss Leah Davis, a wealth and wellness coach, and I don't know what the WOC stands for. What does that stand for? Women of color. Oh. So I'm a wealth and wellness coach for women of color. <laughs> oh, that's nice. So it's real focused. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, how lovely! How lovely! Yeah, I was really enjoyed reading reading your your, your professional biography um, that you are a dedicated wealth and wellness coach for women of color. Um, duh, um, <laughs> you are committed to helping women. <laughs> well, I just never saw WCO um, as an acronym, but that's nice. I might have to start doing that. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, she is committed to helping women of color become financially savvy to increase their wealth and fortify their financial security. Uh, Leah has a profound awareness of the unique challenges women of color experience on, on their journey of creating a stable financial foundation. And um, your coaching assists women of color to analyze spending habits, reduce debt, Increase liquid savings. That's very nice. Initiate family plan planning for aging parents. And uh, you have more than five years of experience as a financial advisor before beginning your career as a wealth and wellness coach. Uh, in your role as a financial advisor, you encourage women as they navigated the challenge of planning for their financial future and establishing intergenerational wealth. Yeah, that's something that's really important for our people. Yeah, um, you're, sure Yeah, yeah. And you're also a certified domestic violence advocate, and you bring a trauma-informed approach to your work with clients. So it sounds like you're the women of color that, um, that you might um, include in your clientele are women that um, one might necess- not necessarily think about when, you know, sort of, um, you know, wealth in particular, and wellness, yes, but not wealth, 
Because sometimes, Absolutely. you know, people think about wellness, but like, well, what about how do we su- how do we support ourselves after we're well, right? <laughs> or how exactly. do we support ourselves to be able to continue, you know, this this particular trajectory of our lives? Because a lot of times, women stay in difficult and harmful situations because they have no wealth. <laughs> so it's like, well, exactly. I don't want to be homeless. I can't take care of my kids. Duh, you know. So mm-hmm. so anyway, so, so that's really great that you know this is a part of the work that you do and and you write that you understand the complexities of gender-based violence, addiction, substance abuse and recovery and you create yes, within do. your work a safe space for women to feel seen and heard as you guide women towards financial stability. Sounds like you are more than just a coach. Like wow. <laughs> so yeah. So thank you. <laughs> I you know, I tried to come up wealth and wellness coach and I try to encompass it all in that title, <laughs> but there's so much um that I'm able to provide and offer and just be. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And and now, you know, uh, with so much uncertainty in people's lives, I'm sure, you know, your phone is ringing off the hooks and your email box is probably full of people <laughs> that are reaching out like, I need help, you know, just sort of like you know, maintaining I, my, my groundedness. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, and I'm absolutely also making sure that I'm actively reaching out um, because if there's one thing mm-hmm. that I do know, and even myself personally, is that when mm-hmm. there is a moment of crisis in my life, sometimes it's really hard to reach out and it can feel very isolated and alone. So I'm finding mm-hmm. myself actively reaching out, sending out information, um, posting on my Facebook page, um, and just getting the word out there so that those who are feeling alone can hear that you're not alone. And um, there's so many of us that are being impacted right now by this uh, COVID pandemic. And the financial stability is definitely something that is on, I think, across the board. Uh, Everybody's got that on the back of their mind. Um, In some way, somehow, we're all being impacted, um, whether it's financially, emotionally, um, mentally, physically, with this pandemic. And so you know, I think it's really important that there's that sense of community and an awareness over what um, I'm even going through that I share um, quite often, um, even when I work with my clients, you know, I, I keep it real, you know, I don't, I don't act like I, I have it all together and everything is perfect, not at all. I'm still myself uh, recovering from the, um, you know, the trauma that I experienced in my life, and that does show up in various ways, but I'm able to navigate it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, you were um, introduced to me um, yesterday, um, <laughs> Um, yes. I'm so happy that um, you know Ms. Sandra Davis, um, Sage, uh, um, is financial consulting. Um, you're, you're, you know, you all are a part of a, a community of, of I guess, yes. is it women, uh, African American women that that are in this field? Is tell me about the association between um, you and Sandra and others who do this work. Yes. Absolutely. So I am um, currently enrolled in a financial fitness certification coaching program. That's part of my training as well. And Sandra Davis mm-hmm. is the one who has um, created that program for the AFCPE. I apologize for the acronym. I always get it mixed up. But it's a financial professional uh, nonprofit organization that provides counseling and financial services for uh, low-income communities and training. And so I became, I got in touch with Sandra, um, I want to say in 2018, early 2018, when I was actively looking to be put in touch with those in the financial community that have a focus on women of color because there's not enough of us out there. And I came across um, an organization closing the women's wealth gap 
Um, and from there, the director put me in touch with Sandra, and then we just we just hit it off. And um, I'm actually became one of Sandra's um, coaches through Sage Financial before starting my career at uh, the Oakland Promise as a senior financial coach. And now I have my own practice as a wealth and wellness coach. So I've, you know, um, so we have a network between us and other professional women where it is focused on women of color. Uh, and so oftentimes we, you know, our, our paths cross in various ways. And I consider Sandra a dear friend as well as one of my mentors, and, and she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I met uh, Ms. Davis last week um, as a part of the uh, um, African-American um, uh, community forums that are that began last uh, Thursday from 11 uh-huh. to 1, and, uh, and they continue – Tomorrow from eleven to one, and, and every Thursday through the rest of this yeah. month, and mm-hmm. um, and 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 it's a free, you know, um, a free forum, and people just need to register mm-hmm. in advance, and it's it's on, mm-hmm. it's through um, uh, the online conferencing um, uh, program Zoom, and so you can actually see the slideshows and, and look at uh-huh. you know the people that are making the presentations, and it's just so wonderful. And so they have these these uh, sort of four areas: got uh, economics, uh, which is what Ms. Davis addresses with really mm-hmm. uh, wonderful, um, as you know her, um, mm-hmm. you know uh, information as well as things you can do like right now. Um, so I'm sure people you know mm-hmm. did some things last week that she recommended, and so. You know, tomorrow they're going to probably be back to see, okay, well, what should we get into this week, you know, to make sure that, you know, when we can come out again, you know, there is an mm-hmm. outside to come back to, right, um, as mm-hmm. we've been working on our, uh, you know, on our economic situation while we were, you know, sort of uh, sheltering in place for those of us that are not, you know, involved in, like, real key, crucial um, kinds of industries. And then, uh, you know, there was the educational component um, and, uh and the psychological uh, wellness component, mm-hmm. uh, with um, which was really wonderful, um, Dr. Tony Jackson, who is um, the uh, I guess the chair or president of the local chapter of the Association of Black Psychologists, and uh, and he also has the Prana uh, Center here in Oakland, mm-hmm. and then um, and then there was um, the uh, the education, economics, psychology. And um, there was one other. Did you were you able to to join in last week? I was not able to join last week, unfortunately. I hope to be on the next one, though. I've heard some great things about it, and anything that Sandra's involved with, it's it's all phenomenal. <laughs> I'm always learning from her, <laughs> you know. Right. And uh, her, she's got a powerful message, and I I highly encourage anyone who's listening today to definitely look into participating with that. I mean, you're you're speaking so highly of it, so I I already know. Mm-hmm. Just if Sandra's there then it's going to be great. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was phenomenal. Oh, and the other, the fourth mm-hmm. area was, was law, you know, sort of what are mm. our rights. And because at this time yeah. you, you know who the people are that have their rights violated the fastest. So, you know, we need to, yeah. we all seem to, you know, people of African descent, and you probably know, you know, as a coach, you know, we almost need to be paralegals <laughs> to make sure oh. that, you know, other folks are honoring, <laughs> you know, our human rights, not 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 to mention our civil rights. <laughs> Absolutely. We've got to be everything wrapped in one and somehow manage to keep it all together with, a, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a calmness and a way of going about it. Otherwise, you can definitely be misperceived 
as uh, somebody who's not even just stable or able to handle things. And so there's there's a lot of pressure to be able to to present yourself in that way. And, you know, it's it's not easy. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so you mentioned that you were reaching out, um, you know, to people because, you know, now's the time that, you know, people, you know, when people are in crisis, they don't necessarily realize what kind of options they have. So maybe you could uh, maybe give us a scenario of sort of, um, you know, what you um, – you know, how you address some of these, these fears because, you know, what if a person is underemployed as it is and then um, and then they go to part-time or maybe their, you know, the industry that they're in is not deemed um, uh, necessary. But then we, we also look at the reality is that a lot of people, poor people are the ones that are making the world go around while, you know, while people who are not necessarily as economically challenged or able to shelter in place, other folks have to go to work. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the people that work in the grocery stores that, you know, yeah. maybe, you know, people might even, you know, know their names or know their faces, just sort of see them more as like an extension of the cash register as opposed to a live person mm-hmm. standing in front of you. Now you think, oh, my God, this person is working, and if they weren't working, I wouldn't have any food to be able to go buy because it's right. not like we all have gardens growing in our backyard, right? I mean, like. Right. You know, it's not like the right. Victory Garden era when our, I guess our grandparents was at World War Two. They were growing food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at yeah. home, like yeah. you know, a lot of us don't have dirt, let alone you know um, a box to be able to grow some food. Some people don't even know where yeah. food comes from. They think it comes out of a freezer section in a grocery store. So <laughs> right, right. I had yeah. an interesting conversation uh, with a client yesterday, and she. Mm-hmm wants to be able to now introduce healthier food options for her family. And she was talking about how it's so expensive to do that and how it's so much easier to go into a store and there's just the easy, quick meals. But she's finding that because she wants her family to be healthy, this is raising that awareness for her um, so they can get through this um, and be able to have a, a better immune system. And um, it, was, it was a great conversation to have with her. And in my coaching, we were able to create uh, you know, she definitely led the conversation and I helped her come to uh, an awareness of there are other options outside of just living in Oakland. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, what's in Berkeley? You know, I said, there's, you know, and she said, oh, you know, there's some artists and people there where they probably don't make a lot of money. And I said, and they're going to be eating organic. So where are they getting it from? <laughs> so just having a creative way and speaking with her and helping her to be able to to come out of that box and to have a different way of thinking of there are other resources available to be able to um, introduce the healthier options for her family at a price that she can afford. And so now she has a little plan on what she's going to do um, in the next couple of days um, to, you know, be able to just go to places like that or research so that she's able to put the healthier food options on her family's table. And, um, uh, to your point exactly, you mentioned about uh, in World War II, there are families that were, um, you know, uh, they're growing food in their own yard. Last week I had a client uh, on a, in a session, and she was talking about how um, she's just going to start growing her own food <laughs> because she unfortunately doesn't have transportation to get anywhere with her baby. And so she, I don't, um, she's just going to start being able to grow some of her vegetables, even if it's just a little bit, because for her a trigger in um, to for a trigger for her in trauma, she's experienced a lack of food and living in poverty. And so she's now t- 
taking that and not wanting to experience all that pain right now and trying to do what she can so that she can put food on the table to help uh, create a more calm environment for her and her little one. Um, so it's really what I'm finding right now is um, just finding the ways that are, are doable to be able to get our needs met, um, whether it's healthy food on the table or having that sense of connection, um, you know, uh, making those phone calls to loved ones or even just being, you know, finding those people within our network who are safe. Um, you know, I, I, I learned myself that not everybody is the safest person for me to speak to. And when I say safe, I'm speaking about somebody who is going to be able to hold space for me when I'm telling them what's going on and without judgment and without um, telling me you should do this, but really just hearing me and allowing me to be able to be open. Um, and right now, I think that's just so important because by sharing with those that we can, our loved ones or somebody that we have identified as that person that we can talk to in that space, we're giving, inviting them to also be able to experience healing for themselves. And it just goes out into, I think, our communities. So I think that sense of connection is so important right now. And so for myself, um, like this, this Saturday, I, um, I uh, partnered up with a, a dear friend and a colleague of mine. We're going to do a free uh, online virtual like, webinar where it's titled Real Stories of Women's Empowerment. And we're just going to talk about how we turned our unsafe and uncertain situations into a journey of self-empowerment um, with other women because there's so many that are going through, like I mentioned, crisis right now. And some people, have it's just been thrust into it, right? Um, and, and what do they do? <laughs> how do? How do you navigate it? Who's, who's around? So the more that we can just provide these services and have these platforms for others to hear stories and share our stories, I think it's going to be a large part of the healing process for those to navigate through these times. Oh, wow. So how how does a person um um participate in in this uh uh webinar? In the in the webinar conference? that I talked about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's going to yeah. be this uh Saturday on uh, April 11th at 2 o'clock. And um, oh, this the Saturday. best way right this now, one. Oh, this Saturday wow. at 2 o'clock. Nice. Yes, I know. We, we talked about it last week, and we just said, let's do it. Um, she's a, mm-hmm. a friend of mine. She's a owner of Shanti Nam Yoga in Castro Valley. And uh, mm-hmm. we've, we hit it off a couple of years ago. And so this will be on April 11th at 2 o'clock. It'll be mm-hmm. through Zoom, so you'll need to be able to have access to the app on your phone or computer and my Facebook page at Leah Davis coaching has the information and the link. And I'm also letting folks know that they can send me a, a direct message on Instagram. Uh, and my, my handle on that is Leah coaching at Leah coaching. So my name is L E A H and coaching. So between Leah coaching Facebook page or at Leah on Instagram, I'll be able to provide those with the registration link and it's a free eight week series that we're going to be doing and just, Oh, um, it's eight weeks. Real. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. how like yeah. two to three? Like how long? Yes, it'll be an hour from two to three. Yes, eight weeks. Oh, uh huh. How long? Yes, so it'll, it's <laughs> yes. We're just putting it out there, you know. It's going to be a, a a conversational series. So the two of us just sharing our stories from childhood to adulthood, because we both of us oh. know what it's like to feel isolated and alone, and just unsure mm-hmm. of what it feels like to create a peaceful and prosperous life. So. We'll be talking about our deep healing and awakening to just become the healthier versions of the women we always wanted to be. Um, and I say healthier because we're not always 100%, but every, I strive to be healthier <laughs> each and every day. 
Mm. Wow, wow. So tell us again the, the name of the um of the series that starts it's on the real, Yes, it's called Real Stories of Women's Empowerment. Real stories. Real stories of women's, of women's empowerment. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and tell me the name again of the person who's going to be like the co-host. Her name is Dev Avtar, and she's the okay. owner of Shanti Nam Yoga. A as in Apple, V as in Victor, T as in Tom, A R. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, Dev Avtar. Avtar. And she's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and Shanti Yoga, you said. Shanti Nam. So Shanti is S H. A and Shanti and Nam N A A M Yoga, and uh, her website is at www.shantinamyoga.com. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yes. so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes, she takes it for herself and her uh, um, for her yoga studio and the, her coaching that she does with clients. That she takes as well a trauma informed approach, and her skill set is helping women be able to find their voices and communicate. Uh, and mm-hmm. for me, as a wealth and wellness coach, I I address the um, as well finding our voice, but also addressing the fear that is uh, within us when it comes to dealing with our finances. And I tie that into the trauma that we may have experienced as a youth, or any type of trauma that has happened throughout our lifetime. Um, and I, because I do see a direct correlation, not even just myself, but with the women that I work with, that for example, um, if uh, I, I, I've had a client who she was not able to open up her bills that are coming in the mail. And I used to do that as well. I just, I would act like it wasn't there. And I've learned over time that I was doing that because I was conditioned as a child to act like everything is okay when it actually was not. To put on this scene and facade that uh, we have a wonderful family dynamic, but in the meanwhile, I was really hurting. And so by having that condition, when there are things in my adult life that were hurting, I would act like it wasn't happening. So I was hurting myself by not addressing my financial issues. And so with this particular client, um, what I did with her is be able to create what I call a safety plan. So that's where I take in my experience as a domestic violence advocate is creating a safety plan for someone to get through something so that they have an experience where they know that they're going to be safe. Uh, So it was a matter of her setting up um, what she came up to do is set up the ability to have a phone call with a loved one or somebody that she, you know, identified as safe saying, Hey, I'm going to sit down right now and I'm going to open up some of my mail. Uh, And then she went through that process and then backed it up with a phone call. Um, And then once she started doing that more and more, then she'd be able, she's able to then see that she can move through that and be okay. Um, And it's the same thing as when it comes to working with uh, someone who is in a situation where they're in an abusive household and um, they, they're feeling unsafe. And what can they do to create that safety plan to get out of there if they need to? Where are their keys? Do they have a, a door to get out of? Is there a window? Is there a phone that they haven't been reached? So just being able to tie that into my work is so important because it's so easy to go into the space of that fight, fright, or um, um, a fleeing situation. when Fight, mm-hmm. flight, free. Sorry, I couldn't think right now. Um, when it comes to dealing with our finances. And so that's, uh, that's the take that, that I do with my work. And so we'll be talking about some of that um, as well on the Real Stories of Women's Empowerment. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were um, 
you shared your unofficial biography with me, and as long as you could talk a little yeah. bit more about sure. about yourself and um, yeah, you're you're a Bay Area native, uh, San Jose, right? Is where you grew up. Yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Four oh eight. Yeah, and four oh eight. Right, right. Yeah, you're still four oh eight, huh? <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Can't let it go. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, um, you know, you know. So the place is really important. Yes. Yeah. Sort of acknowledging place because it 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 certainly informs you know who we who we end up being. You know, like you know, people think about place when you're thinking about growing things. Like, is there enough sunshine? You know, what kind of soil will be best for this particular seed? But then similarly mm-hmm. for people. You know, place. Mm-hmm. What kind of soil? Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about it as a metaphor, right? What kind of mm-hmm. water? You know, thinking about it as a metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, like affirmations, positive energy. You know, like yes, yes. you can, as opposed to no. Nah, what do you think you are? No, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of things. You know, can determine whether or not the human flower, you know, thrives or or wilts. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so maybe you could talk a little bit about um, yourself and and how how one comes to be, you know, a wellness coach. It sounds, you know, just from what you were saying that you have, you know, you're a good listener, and 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 a lot of times, you know, people don't have folks in their lives that have time, will that will sit and listen, and and not necessarily right. just sort of help a person sort of hear the solution in their own speech. Um, that is kind of hard sometimes when you're talking to yourself. Um, but if you're talking right. to someone that's kind of like mirroring you, then they could like reflect back to you sort of what you said that, oh, yeah, I did say that, didn't I? Oh, wow, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I think, you know, just through my life experience, there's just so many different ways that I'm able to hear uh, the women that I'm, I'm talking to and listening to, right? So, you know, I also want to be able to say, like, and I'm very proud to say that I'm half black and Mexican, and I say that I bring that to the table because I understand the complexities of both cultures and the history. And so when, I, you know, I'm moved by both. And so um, I was also raised as a Jehovah Witness, and as many know, that is a very um, isolating and controlling type of uh, environment to grow up in. And because I did not uh, want to participate in that at the age of 16, I was then what they call the fellowship, which basically means I'm ostracized from that community. And I lost a large part of my, my network, my, the people that I grew up with, family, friends, neighbors. And so to have that experience is, was a traumatic at that time, but I didn't know it. Um, and then that manifested in itself with me ended up being a young single mother at the age of 18. And then from there, I had my phase of just numbing myself, going out and partying and not being able to, to just, that's, that was my way of trying to cope. And also from being a isolated child in that religion, all of a sudden I wanted to connect to freedom, which was all the unhealthy ways uh, that I was, you know, very much um, shielded from. But, you know, I, I, went, I went forward with that and found myself in several relationships that were unhealthy, where they were toxic and abusive. And um, from that, early in my career in financial services, when I started my career um, back in 2011, I was knee-deep in a relationship that was toxic and abusive, and I was going out to work every day, putting up this facade, again, that I was conditioned from my youth that everything was okay, and in reality it was not. Um, and so I had the courage to finally end that in 2013 
And I, I, when, I, when I ended that, it was I wanted at that time to end the pain, not realizing what I was looking for was the experience of peace and having a, a life where I was thriving and feeling prosperous and creating that for my, for my children. And so, you know, through these experiences and, uh, and, and also rebuilding my life from ending this relationship, um, I, I was then able to start looking into how can I be of service, and that's when I started becoming a domestic violence advocate. And then I realized uh, along my journey, even in financial services, how women of color were being overlooked and I saw many times in appointments with other financial professionals how they would speak to women and were not hearing them. And then I just began to realize, wait a minute, <laughs> we need to have this, we need, we need to be heard. And even now when I'm not heard, that goes back to when I'm a child, uh, when my voice was not heard, when I was not asked if I was okay, when I had to act like everything was all right and um, was not allowed to show any pain or fear and just deal with it. And so now um, I bring that awareness into my work with other women because I know that I'm not the only one. I know that I'm not the only woman of color who has to be the smartest in the room, who has to be strong, who has to, you know, handle everything and be identified as that person. That's a lot of weight to carry. And so mm-hmm. by, by my life experience, um, I do recognize the importance of, of being quiet and hearing the other person and meeting them as where they are, which is a term that I got from Sandra in coaching, is we meet our clients where they are. No judgment, no shame. Mm-hmm. No judgment, no shame. Wow, wow. Well, I'm so happy that, you know, you were able to join us today to tell us about this wonderful Real Stories of Women's Empowerment series with you, and, you. and Dev um, Aptar beginning this weekend. I mean, gosh, this is just like, this is such a gift. Wow. So two to three on Saturday the 11th, um, yes. um, people will be able to join you um, uh, in uh, in an online forum uh, through Zoom. Um, and, and people uh, should know that if you don't, um, you know, you could just call in, um, you know, to Zoom. You don't have to actually, um, right. you know, do the, uh, the video correct. conferencing part. And then you could do the video conferencing, but, but you're but the uh, the folks that are in the conference don't have to see you. So right, like right. Oh and so God, it's important want to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So we're actually doing this as a webinar, and so we are going to be the only two that are seen on the screen. Nobody else will be seen, and that is intentional because of the topics that we'll be speaking of. And there may be individuals who are currently in unsafe situations, so you can register and nobody will see you. It'll just be myself and Dev Avatar that'll be on the screen. Um, but it's just going to be a conversation between the two of us, so that it's it's more real at that moment in time. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Super. Well, right. again, it's so wonderful to have you on. Um, you know, Thank today you. to talk about your work, and uh, definitely have to make an appointment. Um, I, I wrote you this really <laughs> long response to your email yesterday, and I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but it's like it was like what was it? One o'clock this morning. I'm like, whoa. This is a long email. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right, you know. I heard it, though. I heard you, and I was reading it. And, you know, if you like and anybody else is listening, you can go to my website and just be able to book a complimentary consultation directly through my website at leahcoaching.com. Oh, wow. You're just, like, so affordable. (laughs) 
<laughs> complimentary <laughs> free series. It's like it sounds like you really want everyone to be well and doing well. That's really I really do. Wonderful. I do. <laughs> I do. I want to make it accessible for as many as I can. Yes. <laughs> well, we definitely have to have you on to talk more about um, your work, and maybe we could have you and uh, and Dev Avtar on together. You know. Um, you know, sometime during this eight weeks uh, session, just to talk about sort of how it's going and what's coming up, et cetera, et cetera. Wonderful. Yes, we would love to. I'll definitely pass that information along to her. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity and being able to have this conversation with you. I, I really do. Oh, you're quite welcome. And thank you so much for moving your schedule around so you could join us to talk about your work and this wonderful, um, um, you know, series that's coming up. Wow, two months. Thank you. Whoa, we're going to be so powerful when we're finished. Whoa, nice. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then maybe you could send me a, um, an email link to um, how people can, you know, um, find out more about sure. the series and, and also register if you want people to do that. I will definitely follow up with that. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. You have a good day. You too. Take care, Wanda. Sure. Peace and blessings. Bye-bye. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. It's so nice to talk to you, uh, Nathan Richardson. It's been a minute, right? Yes, it has. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, about a year and a half now. Oh, it's since, been that long. Uh, since we had a good conversation. Yeah. Oh, well, it's definitely time that we, we talk again. Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking to um, Nathan M. Richardson, uh, poet, author, Douglas historian, uh, also, um, I guess, founder um, of Spiritual Concepts Publishing. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Well, tell us I, about uh, this. Matter of fact, yeah. I started that company uh, th- uh, 30 years ago. <laughs> 30 oh, years congratulations. Ago. 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. That's a long time. That means that you are not going anywhere. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a, around for the long haul. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I I definitely get get calls from people. Uh, sometimes I meet them and they don't call me until three, four years later. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Are you mm-hmm. still doing what you're doing?" And I'm like, "Yes, I'm still <laughs> doing what I'm doing." <laughs> oh, that's pretty interesting. That's neat. Yeah, and and your um and your your publishing company, you also you know you put on events and workshops. I'm really sorry that last last year I was in your town, Hampton, Virginia, and and never got over to your your stage where you were doing your Frederick Douglass you know reenactment. I'm like, oh, I didn't get a chance to meet him. Dang, I was like, yeah, that in was, your town, uh, that was- yeah. That was a really big event, you know, national event, uh, the mm-hmm. 400th anniversary of the first Africans landing at Fort Comfort. Mm-hmm. And so there were just so many uh, different uh, living history uh, performances and exhibits and speeches and music, and it was really great. Yeah, and, and multiple sites, too, um, you know, until, you know, we came to um, Saturday, Sunday, um, actually, Saturday was in multiple sites. Sunday was in one site. You know, we were at there at the Fort um, Monroe National uh, Monument. But um, yeah, but I think it didn't kick off um, 
see, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we were um, we were in a variety of, of locations. Um, but it was really, really wonderful. I got a chance to do the um, the historical um, uh, walk with the um, um, the uh, the park ranger, where we went to these different places, and and there was okay. a, a person, an actor from history. Um, that was right. telling us about these different places, like the lighthouse and and the the house where the uh, the Africans called contraband were um, were um, held, and then um, and then also they they got sanctuary. That was a really interesting story. Yes, they uh, are. Well, you know, a lot of people don't know, and, and they probably told you during that tour that Harriet Tubman was a nurse uh, at the contraband yeah. camp. So they hired her to, to take care of uh, all, all the uh, Africans, you know, running away or escaping from slavery. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Are, are Is a window open or something? It sounds, I hear, like, air or, like, a breeze or yeah. traffic yeah. or something. Is that better? <laughs> yeah. Is that better? I'm I'm listening. Let's see, is it uh, a little better? A little bit. Okay. It's not as loud. Yeah, because I want to make sure that everyone can hear you really well. So, um, yeah, yeah, and um, so yeah, we did meet we did meet Harriet Tubman. That was really exciting. Underneath that tree that's 500 years old. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Was that over at uh, that was over at uh, Hampton University? That's at the uh, that's the Emancipation Oak. At Hampton University. No, 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 no. The, there's oh, a tree yeah. that's 500 years old right there at the at the uh, National Monument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over there oh, okay. in the area where they have the hospital um, for okay. for veterans. Mm-hmm. And right, and right. Oh, and, yeah, and I don't right. know who. Yeah, and the president told <laughs> Harriet Tubman that she could, you know, she could organize that. And she was like, well, "You got to give me some resources, <laughs> you know, for the for the you know for the colored soldiers and you know who who need um, you know care. Um, you know, money needs to also you know be uh, a part of the of the proposition along with the the shelter. Yeah, but it was really 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 wonderful. I'd never been to Hampton, so it was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, seeing the." Um, um, the cemetery, you know, where the first family is buried, and all of those different generations, and going to that that formerly um, uh, segregated beach, you know, um, for the for the libation to the ancestors on Saturday morning at dawn, it was just like ah, just real, really, really, really beautiful. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So let me let me tell our audience a little bit more about you. Um, uh, that uh, you are a published author, performance poet, and Douglas historian. Your poetry collection includes Likeness of Being, 21 Imaginary T-Shirts, and Voices from the Wombs of Wisdom. Your work has been widely republished in anthologies, magazines, newspapers, such as the Channel Marker, the Coppola, Coastal Virginia Magazine, and the Washington Post. Uh, you teach a variety of workshops for emerging writers, and and you are the creator and host of Poetry, Prose, and Pizza Open Mic Series. Uh, you are a former coach and current ambassador at large for the Hampton Roads Youth Poets. Switching hats frequently from literature to history, uh, you're now in your sixth year of the Frederick Douglass Speaking Tour. 
a living history performance in which you capture completely the physical and spiritual essence of the former slave writer, orator, and abolitionist Frederick Douglass. This living history series has produced film credits with the National Park Service and Alabama Public Television. Uh, a short list of your other affiliations include the Suffolk, Suffolk Arts League, the Poetry Society of Virginia, Young Audiences of Virginia, First Amendment, First Vote, and the Association of Native and African History Professionals. So I was wondering, have you shifted any of this to an online or virtual platform, given you know, the shelter-in-place um, mandates in most parts of the country? Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, uh, with young audiences, uh, we kind of did a, a quick adjustment because they young audiences. Well, it's called. It's actually it's it's called now Arts for Learning, and mm-hmm. uh, their main objective is to put talented uh, artists, musicians, uh, storytellers in schools uh, K through twelve. And so, of course, with the pandemic and the uh, quarantine going on. Uh, they had to figure out new ways to reach, reach children. So uh, they just developed uh, last week uh, and rolled out last week uh, something called Take 10, uh, where they, they're putting artists like violinist or, or musician or poet online uh, for 10 minutes, and they do a 10-minute workshop uh, that uh, kids who are learning at home can, uh, can tune in and, and get a lesson. Hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's great. That's really so great. Are you though, Are I you going to add? Uh, I was wondering, are you going to add something, a link or something on your website, so that people yes, can I'm, find I'm it? Yes, I'm going to do that. As a matter of fact, with social media, what I'm doing is, um, you know, just sharing uh, the Take Ten uh, platform uh, and. And you know, doing that on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, and okay. on LinkedIn. Personally, though, uh, I, I really haven't decided to uh, to use social media uh, or the virtual world to do Douglas. Uh, what I'm doing, I'm just using the time to work on some other projects that I haven't been working on. Uh, I have a I have a memoir uh, called mm. Becoming Douglas uh, that I'm working on. And I'm 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 definitely behind. This will be a good time to catch up on that memoir. So that's what I'm that's what I'm doing with the uh, during this uh, this pandemic and, and taking care of family at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how is your family? Everybody's uh, good. I, I don't have uh, any friends or family uh, that uh, that have been tested positive. Everybody's in in good health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Although Virginia has your... got quite a few cases. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Virginia has. Uh, I don't even know. I've, I've kind of lost count over the last couple of days because it's definitely uh, increasing ex- exponentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any family or friends that have, you know, they're part of the you know, sort of the industries that um, sort of keep keep the uh, country going so they have to go to work? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, some essential relatives, uh, nurses, mainly nurses uh, mm-hmm. that are uh, working in hospitals and all that kind of thing. So they've got to, you know, um, go out there every day and, and be in close proximity to people who might 
who might be contagious. Mhm. Right. Yeah. 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 A lot of lot of lot of heroes. A lot of people doing you know really selfless and you know um, heroic work. Um, you know, you think about um, you know sort of that whole notion of um, you know of the kind of selfless love that. Uh, Dr. King, you know, writes about like agape, you know, the kind of love that you don't have to do anything for me. I'm just going to just do this, right? Um, and uh, well, not only that, and, he, and it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, it's funny you mm-hmm. mentioned that that uh, um, I did do take. Well, one of the things that you can do in in this particular period is definitely use social media. If you're in a business, uh, you definitely mm-hmm. want to try to. Uh, use social media marketing to boost your, your footprint. Now, this is a time when, when most everybody will, it's a lot of people more than ever uh, are at home on the internet looking. And so if you spend a little bit of money on social media boosting, it can definitely go a long way. And so one of the things in, in regard to what we were just talking about, about people who are making sacrifices uh, I took it took advantage of that, and I've got it running now uh, online. Is a boost for one of my poems. Uh, it's a mm. poem called "Praise for the Trash Man," mm. and so it's a poem all about uh, trash men and how they are uh, certainly underrated and le- and devalued. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I've got it. Um, I've just got it targeted right now to New York and New, the New Jersey area, and it's getting a lot, a lot of hits. People are coming in. Yeah, we, had, you know, everybody's been thinking about the doctors, the nurses, you know, and and uh, the first responders, but nobody's really thought about uh, how the garbage men are really uh, taking care of our garbage at a time when, uh, you know, it's contaminated on a good day. So we know that it's probably mm-hmm. contaminated right now. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Getting, and, that's and, getting a really good response. Mm-hmm, yeah, and I was just thinking, you know, last week, you know, was the, uh, I think the 51st anniversary of Dr. King, um, you know, being killed, um, you know, as he was getting ready to, um, you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, when he was going to be joining the sanitation workers, you know, in their, in their strike uh, in a march. And, yeah, so it's like, you know, yeah, the, think about the, uh, the the garbage men, you know, or the sanitation workers, you know, sort of a euphemism um, for, for what they do, you know, handling, you know, our waste. And you're right, it is contaminated on a, on a good day. So why don't you share that poem with our audience since you mentioned it, and I was going to ask you if you wanted to share a poem anyway. So why don't you share that, <laughs> that poem that's getting all these hits. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll be happy to. Um... Uh, It's called Praise for the Trash Man. Thank you for all the compliments about the wonderful work I'm doing with my poetry. But let us not put our creativity on a throne. I really deserve no more credit than the janitor who picks up your trash. Every man and woman has their own unique way of contributing to society. Service is the rent we pay for room here on earth. Have you ever seen a man on a rainy day swinging on the back of a trash truck, 
jump off and land in a puddle of mud without slipping, grab a 50-pound trash can, swing it round, creating a centrifugal force that sends your garbage clean out of the can and into the back of the truck, and then, like a dancer completing a pirouette, sets your trash can back on the sidewalk right side up. And then, with perfect timing, jumps back onto the truck that is already moving onto the next house. That, my friend, is art, too. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh it's it's a strange thing when I pull up behind a trash truck and some guys are delivering trash and I'll get out of my car and I'll say, hey, guys, you want to hear a poem? <laughs> and oh, they're okay. like, where did this guy come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, neat. And and so have have they said yes more than not? What's that? Have they said yes more than they haven't oh, said yeah. yes when you asked? Okay. Oh, yeah, huh. absolutely. They're, they're uh, definitely... Uh, Astonished and uh, appreciative that somebody would take the time and and recognize you know recognize their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was wondering if you have a few more minutes, um, you know, after um, ten, because we could talk a little bit more. Do you have a little extra time? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe ten more minutes afterwards. Okay, cool. So I wanted yeah. um, I wanted to ask you sort of how you came to um you know to create this uh Frederick Douglass character and sort of your interest in you know in African uh American history particularly this particular figure and um and history in general where does that where does that come from well uh it comes from um the fact that I've been a storyteller all my life uh number one I think that's one of the things that I I have most in common with with Frederick Douglass is that I'm actually a, a self-made man uh, from the perspective of with poetry and storytelling. You know, I grew up in a in a family of storytellers, uh, and it just so happens that uh, around 2011, somewhere back in there, uh, I was at a a theater festival teaching poetry. Uh, and one of my friends, who's a very good, uh, renowned storyteller, uh, suggested that I that I do uh, a historical character. She was like, you know, there's not a lot of African men uh, doing the characters from our from our ancestors. And so at first, I was actually not 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 <laughs> not interested in it because I told her, I was like, well, you know, I'll think about it, you know, but I. I definitely was not entertaining her idea. And then, you know, a year later, she was still on me about it. You know, she's like, I really think you can do a good job. And so uh, what I did, uh, I I started looking at various characters like uh, Du Bois, uh, Booker T. Washington. Uh, and when I ran upon Douglas, I I had a resemblance. I, I was already, I already had a beard. Uh, and so I said, well, you know, I think I can get him physically. Uh, let's see what he's what he's talking about. Uh, and so I started reading about him. I started reading some of his speeches, and then that's when I realized that Frederick Douglass was a poet. You know, he's he's definitely uh, 
got lots of imagery in his in his writing. He studied Greek poets, uh, and and so uh, I think I, the first thing I did was memorize uh, one of his speeches. Uh, what to the slave is the Fourth of July. And uh, I did that not even without any regalia on. I I wasn't dressed up like Douglas or anything like that. I just, you know, had an open mic. I said, I'm going to do an excerpt from Frederick Douglass. And I did it, and people were like, wow, that's that's great. And and so that's when I really had to uh, start, you know, thinking to myself or, or sitting down with myself to decide if I was going to do it or not, because I did not want to do it just as a hobby or as a side thing. Uh, you know, I wanted to do it in a way that would bring uh, respect to uh, to the to the character to to our ancestors. And so, once I made that decision, uh, then I went ahead and I started purchasing uh, the regalia, uh, a wig so forth and so on. And uh, as they say, the rest is history because I've been six years now and every year it's getting more more and more popular all across the country. Yeah, nice, nice. (laughs) Um, So, so far, we're not going to see Douglas, um, uh, your Douglas, uh, in a virtual environment, but who knows? (laughs) Well, I've got um, plenty of. Uh, I do have plenty of uh, uh, YouTube videos out there. If you go to my website, you can see YouTube videos of me performing. Uh, I've got a media page where uh, a lot of the interviews that I have done over the years uh, are on there. So if you go to www.scpublishing.com, um, you can you can see it. Uh, you can see my performance of Douglas. Uh, you can see a myriad of interviews uh, on TV, radio. You're on there as well. You're in my archive from last year when we did uh, the interview. So I think there is about, right now, there's about 45 uh, different uh, interviews of me doing poetry, of me uh, on TV doing Frederick Douglass that uh, you can you can spend your time um, you know, finding out who I am and definitely find out who Frederick Douglass is. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're very well documented. <laughs> yeah. So, so when um, because uh, I don't know when I when I thought about, oh wow, um, we are sheltering in place, and so we have all this time, you know, that we we should use to our advantage, you know, as opposed to right. you know being um. Uh, you know, dismayed because, you know, how many right. of us, you know, have an opportunity to be, you know, have an opportunity to sort of like be self-reflective and and have like an right. almost uh, imposed opportunity to be mindful and to meditate and to go inside and go deeper. And and I was thinking sure. like, well, what would Frederick Douglass say about about this this particular moment in in world in the world, um, not just not just the United States, but globally. You know, we've got this germ that's making its rounds and doing some really, you know, like uh, causing a lot of havoc, you know, in different different um, different um, uh, public places, public spaces. Um, yeah, um, people are, well, you people know, are what, dying, uh, and, and, and some people are not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think what Frederick Douglass uh, would say, based on the history of uh, Frederick Douglass, he was born 1818 um, mm-hmm. and lived until 1895. So he was at 19th century, the entire 19th century, basically. Uh, and uh, there were uh, there were uh, pandemics during that time. Definitely, uh, yellow fever uh, was was something uh, was was a virus that came through America multiple times in the 19th century, starting uh, around 1820, right after Frederick Douglass's birth, um, 1830, 1840, 1847, 1845. So by every two or three years, yellow fever would come back uh, and really uh, wipe out a lot of people. And, of course, unlike today where we, although we don't have a, a remedy or a vaccine for uh, the coronavirus, we're, we're pretty confident that within a year we're going to have uh, a, a vaccine. Uh, whereas in the, in the, ni- in the 19th century, uh, this yellow virus came back multiple times. There was no vaccine. There was not, as a matter of fact, there was no vaccine for yellow fever until 1925, which was like 20 years after, uh, after Frederick Douglass's uh, demise. Uh, there was also cholera. So uh, the, the fact that we're in this pandemic and we're having to make some adjustments, uh, if you were in the 19th century, <laughs> it would be a world of hurt because um, you just just would not be. Um, the only thing, the way you could survive it, your body had to, to bring you over the hump, right? Your body had to, your own immune system had to be the one that saved you. Uh, and so, um, so Frederick Douglass, uh, you know, was a person who experienced all of this and was familiar with pandemics in America and how, and how the American people dealt with it. One, one thing, of course, that's different now than then, of course, was that uh, people were not able to travel uh, as they are now. Uh, and so uh, if a particular group of people uh, came down with yellow fever. Uh, it couldn't spread nationwide like it like it would during this time, because people wouldn't be carrying uh, the um, carrying it. Uh, so, for you take for instance, uh, in Portsmouth, Virginia, there was an outbreak. Uh, uh, Portsmouth and Norfolk, Virginia, where I live, there was an outbreak of yellow fever. Now, this is carried by mosquitoes, and uh, it, it 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 killed hundreds of thousands of people uh, during that uh, that particular outbreak of yellow fever, uh, but it it was contained because uh, the the um, the uh, area and the people who were there weren't able to just get on a plane uh, and travel in mass numbers. I mean, they had they had horse and cart, they had uh, uh, they had trains. But it wasn't mass migration like we have in this time where people could carry the virus or carry mosquitoes, you know, mosquitoes travel with people. Uh, and so uh, in the 19th century, uh, there were some advantages and disadvantages, of course. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And and we're still here as a species. So, um <laughs> <laughs> 
But, you know, when you're in it, you think, oh, my God, this is it. And then, you know, since we have some perspective, as you just, you know, showed us, like, okay, well, we got through it. So, you know, and, and at that moment, I'm sure those folks were thinking, oh, this is it. Um, so maybe this is not it. Um, you never know. But, you know, being mindful and practicing, you know, having a mindful practice, um, this might be it. So, you know, you want to make the most of every moment that we have. Um, you know, don't put off, you know, because, oh, you know, I've got this next moment to to um, count on, you know, sort of be in the moment you're in. So you say, you know, yourself, you're you're working on some projects that you've been putting off, right, like finishing that book and doing some other things because right. you well, have you know, time I, now. I, I, <laughs> I, I do, and, and I tell you what, uh, and, I, and I posted something on social media, it's actually a mm. quote from uh, one of my books. Uh, I have a chat book called 21 Imaginary T-Shirts, uh, and the quote mm-hmm. says, uh, spend your time preparing for the opportunity rather than chasing an opportunity you're not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Spend your time preparing for the opportunity rather than chasing an opportunity that you're not prepared mm-hmm. for. So when mm-hmm. people uh, ask me, you know, um, you know, what are you doing to get online or what are you doing to get here or there? Or what do you, you know, have you been here and you performed there? You know, that's, that's, <laughs> I really, although I do advertising and I and I do try to get you know my 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 um, my craft out there, uh, I'm never trying to get a specific place or uh, if you understand what I'm saying, I'm always mm-hmm. just trying to be prepared, and so it's only natural for me in a time like this is not really to seek uh, to you know to stay you know to to keep doing performances necessarily but mm-hmm. to use this opportunity to be better than I was when this started. So when I come out right. of the pandemic, you know, it's my objective to have, uh, you know, a couple of new programs, uh, you know, know a few more speeches, a few more poems that Frederick Douglass might have been, you know, a few more people that Frederick Douglass. So, so that's, that's what my objective is, is the preparation. Mm-hmm. I have more right. appreciation. I appreciate preparation more than than the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass were contemporaries. And I was wondering um, if you could tell us a little bit about, because we already spoke a little bit about Harriet Tubman, you know, and, you know, being there at, um, you know, um, the uh, what's now Fort Monroe National uh, Monument, um, you know, where the first, Africans came into, um, you know, the Jamestown colony, and were um, were sold um, as provisions. So, you know, that's where the commodification, you know, comes in into, um, right. you know, the colony. So, if you could talk a little bit about about their relationship, um, you know, Harriet Tubman was, you know, take no prisoners, you know, kind of woman, and uh, right, you know. And and she really loved her people, you know, that she would return, you know, to um captivity to grab them, you know, to 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 help them navigate their way to a freedom land. So yeah, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about her and, and Frederick Douglass' relationship. Yeah, well they they were both born on the eastern shore, not not more than, than twenty or thirty miles from each other. They were born uh, at different times, but around the same time frame, 
Um, mm-hmm. And both from the Eastern Shore, both born into slavery, uh, both escaped. Uh, and, and so uh, both eventually after escaping uh, became part of the Underground Railroad uh, in different ways. Of course, Fred, uh, Frederick Douglass uh, was an abolitionist and, and spoke widely all over the country. Uh, had own newspaper, the North Star, which was was key to the Underground Railroad. Uh, whereas uh, Harriet Tubman was physically on the ground; she was a foot soldier, uh, and so she uh, uh, spent many hours, days, miles tracking back and forth up and down the Eastern Seaboard, uh, trying to uh, uh, free uh, Africans out of out of slavery. And even when Frederick Douglass moved to uh, to New York, to Rochester, uh, uh, in about 1840, uh, 1848, Frederick Douglass and his family moved from Lynn, Massachusetts, to Rochester, New York. Uh, and um, he establishes his base up there. Uh, and uh, it was around 1850, 1855, that Harriet Tubman actually brought eight runaways to his house uh, in Rochester, New York, on South Avenue. They knock in the middle of the night. You imagine somebody knocking on your door at the middle of the night, and you open the <laughs> door, and there stands Harriet Tubman and eight, eight runaways. And so they, they gave them... Uh, you know, refuge and a nice sleep and food and and uh, shoes and then they they went on into Canada and uh, Harriet Tubman went on back down south to to continue her work. Uh, so she she was uh, as 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 as, a, as, a, as much a monumental figure as Douglas uh, from the fact that uh, she was just involved and was. Uh, able to do so many things, including uh, being a part of the suffrage movement. So she was an uh, influencer um, with the women of suffrage, especially the, the white women like uh, Susan B. Anthony. She had an impact on on them. And uh, and uh, so um, Frederick Douglass had, had a great amount of respect for for Harriet Tubman and everything that she did. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a really wonderful segue into the um, centennial of the uh, the suffrage movement, um, you know, uh, 2020, and um, and I was just thinking, you know, we had like March was International Women's History Month, and uh, and then the eighth was International Women's Day, and mm-hmm. the month is not like enough enough space to hold all of the great women's history, right? So I was like, well, we need to continue on <laughs> to April, <laughs> you know, which yeah. is also National Poetry Month, which is, you know, sort of like a real wonderful time for you, you know, as a poet. And, uh, right. yeah, so why don't you go and continue the conversation because, you know, that was one of the things we were going to talk about was about the suffrage movement. And, and then I want you to um, – uh, to save time to give us a poem by Frederick Douglass, you know, sort of as your as your okay. signature uh, closing. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, I tell you, you know, speaking of National Poetry Month, I don't think the the pandemic is affecting the poets as much uh, as it it has uh, the uh, the centennial for for the woman's vote. Uh, 
poets are historically underground anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> we're gonna do our we're gonna do our thirty for thirty, uh, you know, at home and and send it to our first readers and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, uh, but for uh, but for the centennial. Um, there's a lot of missed opportunities for, for us to get together and recognize uh, all the work that went into uh, getting uh, the woman the right to vote. Um, and because I, you know, and I'm taking this from my, my history of, of doing Frederick Douglass when we, in 2018, when it was his bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of his, of his passing, uh, it was just tremendous. I mean, I did so many performances across the country. Then last year, uh, it was the 400th, and it was a national event, and I was all over the place. And I was really looking forward to the same thing this year with with the uh, Centennial. And I had to develop, you know, a program uh, about women's suffrage, and I had some other suffrage uh, uh, women who do living history to portray uh, Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tubman and, and Susan B. Anthony. I had them all lined up. You know, we were all lined up and ready to go. But, you know, of course, nice. uh, now uh, we won't get that opportunity. So maybe we just have to, you know, put it on hold until the fall and then just just go bonkers, you know, with woman suffrage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that would be great. But, uh, but yeah, the, the woman suffrage uh, movement, uh, was one uh, that a lot of people don't know, and, and I'm going to just start the conversation uh, with the fact that um, uh, most of the women, uh, especially those key women in the suffrage movement, uh, Lucretia Mott, uh, Susan, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, they were greatly influenced by uh, Native American women. Of course, in uh, in northern New York, Rochester, and uh, and uh, and in Canada as well, uh, there were there were so many uh, women, uh, there were so many tribes of Indians, and when they visited these these tribes, they could not help but notice that uh, the Indian, the native tribes were a matriarchal society. They were uh, they were pretty much ran uh, and orchestrated by the native women. And so you can imagine the fact that you know you've got this 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 white woman of pretty, pretty comfortable privilege, um, but still greatly disenfranchised. I mean, no matter how wealthy your husband might be, how much land, what kind of business he owned, you own none of it. And if he died, he could not will that property to you. Hmm. He would will it to his son. He would will it to his brother. Uh, but it would not be will to the woman. And if a man so decided that uh, he was tired of a woman, he could he could basically outcast her, take her children, all her jewelry and her clothes, and sit her out on the street. So when they went into these um, Native American tribes and saw women uh, sitting around making decisions for uh, tribes, uh, they they were like, this is what you know, we should be. <laughs> and so this is where they got the ideas and the first impetus for uh, for the suffrage movement. Uh, and, of course, uh, the everyone gives, says that 
Lucretia Mott is basically the mother of the suffrage movement. She went to the to the um, World Anti-Slavery uh, Conference uh, in England in 1858, and she she was not allowed to speak. And when she came back, she came back as a hero. Uh, and so everybody coalesced around Lucretia Mott, and so then. Uh, you had all these people, and Philadelphia was a big epicenter for the women's suffrage movement. Uh, they, they set a great example in Philadelphia of white and black women working together. Uh, although uh, they were they were had the audacity to get out there and give speeches and all that kind of stuff, they were still under a lot of uh, of pressure and uh, ridicule and scorn. And as a matter of fact, the Philadelphia Hall where they held the first women's uh, suffrage conference in Philadelphia. The next day after they had the conference, uh, a, peop- a group of people stormed and burned the, the uh, Philadelphia Hall down to the ground. Mm. Uh, and so um, they, uh, Philadelphia kind of set the scene. Uh, and then later on, uh, these women uh, coalesced by one I don't. I don't really know. It was not intentional that Douglas, Lucretia Mott, uh, Susan B. Anthony, all these women, and Frederick Douglass ended up in New York at the same time. It was just, you know, just, uh, just a matter of, of uh, history and gravity that that they all ended up there, uh, and held the first National Women's Conference uh, in Seneca Falls in 1848. And that's where they signed the Declaration of Sentiments. The Declaration of Sentiments was a document drafted by women uh, stating uh, that they were disenfranchised in these particular ways and how they wanted these, these things to be corrected, including the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how Frederick Douglass worked with these women uh, during that movement. Uh, and up until the 15th Amendment, uh, he was working with all of these women, including Sojourner Truth. They were all fighting uh, for the women's right to vote. But, of course, as we know, when the 15th Amendment was ratified, it left one, the woman out of the vote. And, uh, and so there were some very bad feelings <laughs> uh, because they felt like Frederick <laughs> Douglass had let them down. They felt like men in general, the nation in general, had let the women down and so they didn't even speak to Frederick Douglass for for a long time mm-hmm. and um, and then eventually they ended up reconciling um, in the 1890s uh, they, they reconciled uh, but it's, there's a lesson there uh, that uh, that uh, a lot a lot of energy was lost of course we know that the, uh, the final Women's right to vote didn't happen until 1919. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just think about the fact that uh, 18, uh, when the 15th Amendment was passed, from the from the time the 15th Amendment was passed until 1819, how much energy was lost by the original people who were fighting for for that right? The fact that um, when the women didn't get the right to vote, th- their coalition broke apart really set back the movement. Do you mean 1919? Very, 
1919, right. So it set it set back uh, when the 15th Amendment wasn't passed, and and all the all the people who were collaborating together, Douglas, Sojourner Truth, uh, Susan B. Anthony, these people stopped working together. Then mm-hmm. a lot of momentum was lost. Yeah. And so it's probably the reason that uh, we didn't see the women's right to vote until 1919, until the, until the 20th century. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's when I'm teaching or when I'm doing a living history performance and we are talking and I'm taking questions from the audience about this, I always remind them that in order to succeed, you have to have a strong coalition. And the opposition, their their main objective is to divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. So if we in this 20th century, uh, 21st century, uh, are fighting for a particular objective and we allow the opposition to divide and conquer us, then our objective of what we're fighting for is is moved further beyond the horizon, you know. And so we re- really have to be conscious of it. Right, yeah, I was just thinking as you were speaking about, you know, just the whole idea of, you know, the patriarchal system and and how, you know, how it just um, is antithetical to, um, you know, the type of coalitions that are necessary for everyone to um, to thrive and to benefit in any society. And, and then the whole idea of, you know, coming, you know, sort of looking at enslavement and and then white women looking at how, you know, they weren't free either. Um, but I was thinking sort of in, in even in that, that plantation system, there was a level of of equality, you know, among the workers, um, you know, um, the black women and the black men who were, you know, equally, you know, chattel. Um, you know, the women were picking as much cotton you know, they had like they had to pick a lot of cotton, you know, and so you know, sort of looking at just the the labor, um, there really was no discrimination um around that from the system that, you know, African people were subjected to, you know, in this nation under chattel slavery. And and then and then, you know, sort of you know, when when white women looked, you know, at how they were were also possessions and property because a woman could have have um have wealth and as soon as she gets married the wealth moves from her father's house to her husband's house and like you were saying um she could leave but she would leave without her wealth which included the right. children which were also property um and right. then sort of looking at sort of the uh the racism that was not exclusive to white men but it was also part of you know it was a part of the culture you know so white men and women and then you're thinking about well we want to have a coalition with you but we don't think you're equal to us and and that whole thing that you know sojourner truth you know and her um her um her tours and her advocacy and her speaking engagements you know that's why you know when we look in retrospect at at her work you know it's so powerful because she was really alone the lone voice you know for black women in these circles where people didn't even see her as a woman um right yeah mhm well well and uh that that's that's very true everything you said is is definitely true uh but what uh 
the example that Sojourner Truth and uh, and Frederick Douglass both give us because mm-hmm. uh, both of them worked across the line mm-hmm. with Susan B. Anthony, with uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. They knew that all these women, although these women were progressive, uh, that they were still uh, a class above. They 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 were uh, they had a different. Uh, different idea of what equality meant for the black person and the white person. Uh, but they still saw the, the benefit in working and bringing that coalition together because ultimately it meant the same thing, that more votes would defeat the other side. Uh, that That's evident in the fact that, uh, uh, this is kind of a side note, that um, – Frederick Douglass was commissioned, uh, he was put on a commission for the annexation of the Dominican Republic. Now, there were many people in the black community uh, that were saying, why in the world would you be uh, for the colonization of an independent country? Uh, These are black people, these are brown people in the Dominican, in Santo Domingo, at that time it was called Santo Domingo. Why would you be for the colonization of this country? Why would you want them to be uh, part of the United States? And it was pretty simple for, for Frederick Douglass. Uh, once you colonize, uh, once you bring uh, a million or more people uh, into citizenship, the 15th Amendment guarantees all those men the right to vote. And so then that would, that would increase our ability uh, to, to have legislation that would benefit brown people. In America, uh, so you know these uh, these people, Sojourner the Truth, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, they were very uh, very astute about how to take advantage of the opportunity uh, for the end game. And so, what is lost in our time in the 21st century when we when we say to ourselves that the line between black and white is so stark, is so is so uh, so stark that we can't cross a line and move a piece of legislation, then no legislation moves, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing is done. Uh, So uh, because a movement is, if you look at all the movements, including um, Martin Luther King, the movement didn't happen in a day. I mean, (laughs) it wasn't 1960 (laughs) and, you know, Mm-hmm. And equal civil rights was done. You know, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> it does not happen that way. So, uh, so you have to look at at it as a uh, as a collective effort of, of like minded people, mm-hmm. and uh, and for the sake of of purity, uh, you know, you you can't uh, you know you can't unity is, is not uh, should not be a casualty of purity. Unity, you can't, you can't sacrifice unity for purity. There are going to be some people of all types of people, even within the African American community, who have differences of opinion, who have different uh, social economic classes, and you, you really, you know, you really get, the, you know, goosebumps or whatever when you're when you're around them because they really, they really think they might be better than you. 
But mm-hmm. to separate yourselves and say you can't work with people of a different social economic status, uh, that really does, it, it fulfills the objective of those who want to divide and conquer us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah, yeah. Ah, wow. Yeah. It's been really, really great having having a conversation with you uh, this morning. Was there anything else that you um, you wanted to share around around the women's suffrage movement um, and Frederick Douglass before you share no, a poem? I, I think uh, I think this uh, yeah this 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 last part of the conversation we were having is really uh, what uh, what what we talk about. And even when I'm up in in Rochester and we're doing reenactments, and and I'm with Fred, my Frederick Douglass is with. Um, with uh, Lucretia Mott and all those up there, we actually introduced this, 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 these ideas, uh, uh, these uh, cracks and the foundation to the audience because mm-hmm. it's so, it's so important. Uh, it's important to know you can't just categorize Frederick is working with white, white people because, you know, he was, he was, you know, an idiot and he didn't know that he was working with people who, who, who would call him a nigger. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. you know that's that's what happened after the 15th Amendment was passed and women were left out. Uh, Susan B. Anthony called Frederick Douglass a nigger, <laughs> the same woman who oh. used to sit down with really? him and drink tea. The, the same woman who invited many many times uh, Sojourner mm-hmm. Truth to her house and 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 all this kind of stuff. So you know, these are the types of of underlying issues that mm-hmm. that are within us that in some cases can be the thing that divides us, you know. Uh, but when you, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't close a blind eye to the fact of who you're working with, then you, can, then you, you won't be surprised. You won't be ready to fight when it finally comes to a head. You know, like America right now, you know, we really didn't mm-hmm. think that there were so many people who were, who were, who were still racist. But, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right, so, yeah, right. I, I, yes. this – Mm-hmm. This this year has been a very uh, uh, introspective year, uh, and it's given mm-hmm. me the opportunity to explore some things about the characters uh, that that I didn't know, and I wouldn't have known if I hadn't had this this downtime. So, what I wanted mm-hmm. to do was uh, to share with you not uh, not one of Frederick Douglass's poems, but one that he definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, admired. It was a woman suffrage uh, an abolitionist, uh, Frances mm-hmm. E. W. Harper. Uh, she oh, was born in. in yeah. Are you familiar? I like her. Yeah, she was a. Yeah, we'll tell our audience about her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, one of the poems that I just uh, recently discovered uh, of Frances E. W. Harper is "Bury Me in a Free Land." And so uh, I'm actually working on a project where I put this on video, and I'll be releasing it in the next the next month or so. I got to find somebody that's willing to come out and you know <laughs> come outside and do it with me and shoot this video. Mm. But anyway, yeah. the poem is called uh, "Bury Me in a Free Land." Oh, before before you um uh, yeah before you do the poem though, tell us more about who she is. People might not know her. You know, she's an African American yeah. woman. Yeah. Frances E. W. Harper uh, was uh, was an abolitionist. 
uh, a poet, a writer, a speaker. Uh, she was definitely on the circuit of speakers uh, and spoke on the same uh, stages with Frederick Douglass. Uh, she did a lot of work in Philadelphia alongside Lucretia Mott. Uh, they were part of uh, uh, of a group of women who started uh, uh, what they called um, uh, um, it is basically what they were trying to do was make sure that nobody purchased any goods that were made by slave hands. Oh. And so she was a big part of that as well. So all throughout Philadelphia for, for a particular period, uh, there was this big drive that uh, uh, you were, they were boycotting any, any shop, uh, any, any business uh, that was selling products or, uh, or even uh, food that was made or picked by slave hands. And so, um, and so when I realized that she had written this poem, I was like, wow, I definitely have to uh, expose uh, the brilliance of this uh, great uh, female uh, ancestor. Uh, and so the poem is called uh, Bury Me in a Free Land. Make me a grave wherever you will, on a lowly plain or lofty hill. Make it among earth's humblest graves, but not in a land where men are slaves. I could not rest if I heard the tread, if I, if I heard the steps of a slave above my trembling grave. His shadow above my silent tomb would make it a place of fearful gloom. I could not rest if I heard the tread of a coffle gang to the shambles led. Or a mother's shriek of wild despair Rise like a curse on the trembling air. I could not sleep if I saw the lash Drinking her blood with each fearful gash. If I saw the babes torn from her breast Like trembling doves from the parent nest. I'd shudder and start if I heard the bay Of the bloodhounds seizing their human play. If I heard the captive plead in vain as they bound afresh his galling train, if I saw the young girls from their mother's arms, bartered and sold for their youthful charms, my eye would flash a mournful flame, my death pale cheek red with shame. I would sleep, dear friends, where bloated might could rob no man of his dear for right. I would sleep in, in comfort in any grave where none could call his brother a slave. I ask no monument, proud and high, to capture the gaze of a passerby. All that my yearning spirit craves is to bury me not in a land of slaves. Yes, yes. That's really beautiful. Absolutely a beautiful, yeah. dark poem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about, um, yeah, I don't know if you know the tradition of um, there's the, uh, the the Sisters of the Good Death um, in um, in Bahia, Brazil, and, uh, and, and there's a tradition that they would purchase the freedom of people, particularly if they were... Um, um, about to die so that they wouldn't die enslaved. Um yeah, um and uh and they um they they have a a big event um in August 
um, in in Brazil, sort of honoring the tradition of of these this this, this community. But uh, yeah, um, they see like the they saw like the worst thing that could happen would be that you would be buried enslaved. You wouldn't be a free uh-huh. person. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Oh, thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, I totally know her name, but I I don't know her, know her, you know? I just like, oh, yeah, she's right. a great person. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Nice, nice. Absolutely, absolutely. So the more uh, when we expose or when we bring uh, ancestors like this to light, you know, it gives, you know, other people opportunities to say, wow, you know, I, I would like to be, you know, I'd like to find out more about her and then even maybe, you know, say, hey, this woman, if, you, if you're doing it like I did Frederick Douglass, when I saw uh, how much, what a huge body of work he had, you know, three autobiographies, uh, his own newspaper, thousands of letters, um, you know, hundreds of autobiographies, uh, hundreds of biographies written about him, that I realized I was onto something that would be, not just, uh, you know, a small project, but really kind of a lifetime study. And so I, I would think that of of all the characters, although um, um, maybe uh, Harriet Tubman is, is certainly the most famous, uh, but if you were go, to go into the life of, uh, of um, Francis D.W. Harper, you would find so much material to make it possible for you to portray her as a as a character because you you have her own words, and that's one of the great things about doing Frederick Douglass. I don't have to really, uh, you know, depend on what the bi- what the buyer uh, what the people who wrote biography said about him. His own words tell his story, you know, uh, and so the same would be true of Frances E. W. Harper if you were able to find her letters, find her books of poetry find some of her speeches, then that could put you in a in a, a setting where you could actually put together a very good living history interpretation of that character. Mm, right, yeah. I was wondering, um, I think I know her because of the work of um uh the uh um the Harvard scholar, um um his name is escaping me right now. Uh <laughs> He's the one that does the uh, the ancestry um, programs. Um, oh yeah, he's done a uh-huh. whole lot. Yeah, I'm drawing right. a blank on his name. Right, he's got the TV show and all. I can't even think of it myself, but I watch oh. I watch it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can yeah. see his I can see his face in my mind. I'm like, oh. yeah. Drawing a blank still, but anyway, yeah, I I think I think he might have because you know how he was re-releasing um, work um, that had you know become. Um, uh, you know that he was re re um uh publishing uh some of these works of some of our our great writers particularly black women writers in America right. uh-huh. um uh-huh. yeah and i think maybe her work might have been you know one of those uh those um uh i guess uh works that you know cuz she she's writ- she wrote a lot that was re reissued um right yeah mhm right yeah Ah, God, I really feel bad that I can't think of his name because um, he also finished the uh, that large work that Dr. Du Bois um, started along with um, uh, a Ghanaian um, scholar, 
of of Africana history and culture. Like he was um he was responsible for finishing that book, um, that encyclopedia uh-huh. that um right. that President Nkrumah um uh uh sort of um you know, he he um I guess sponsored and you know, the Ghanaian government sort of sponsored that, that particular work. Right. Right, right. You haven't remembered yet? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to like we can't we cannot leave our audience hanging like this. We got to tell them the name of the uh, Henry Louis Gates. Thank you, thank you. That's right, Henry Louis. Henry sorry, Gates. Henry Louis Gates Jr. Yeah. Doctor <laughs> Gates. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and lastly, I wanted to ask you if you could just tell us why or how you named your your company uh spiritual concepts publishing i mean the name is like i mean you, you abbreviate it uh as cp but you know the name of right. your your company yeah how did it come to be well um i i can remember sitting around thinking about how you know what i was going to name my company and what my philosophy was um and um i you know, I don't. I, I can't really tell you exactly where the actual name spiritual concepts, but it was a spirit. It was a spiritual concept. The concept of what of what I was looking at was spiritual. You know, mm-hmm. of, of where I the, the concept of where I wanted things to go had a spiritual foundation, and so that's why I named it that. Uh, but more importantly, the the uh, my mantra or my mission statement. Uh, it's what has guided me over the past past 30 years, which is breaking down the racial and religious borders of society uh, through unique messages of God's unconditional love. So that that's my mantra, and that's what guides me. That's what uh, that's what my test of success has always been, regardless of you know how much the paycheck is. I'm always looking uh, did did. What I'm bringing to the audience, what I'm bringing to the stage, is it attracting a diverse audience? Am I looking uh, at all walks of men sitting in front of me, receiving the message? And so that's that's how I've been operating all this time, and it's been, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, an evolution of all the things that I have been, all all of my experiences, not only in the church, but my reading experiences, my my love of poetry, the poets that I like all had these underlying messages or motives behind or the intent behind uh, what they were, what they were writing, uh, including uh, Walt Whitman. Uh, Walt Whitman, there's a quote from Lees of Grass uh, that says, uh, I am the poet of the body. I am the poet of the soul. I go mm-hmm. with the slaves of the earth equally with the masters. And I stand between the masters and the slaves Entering into both, so that both will understand me alike. Mm-hmm. So, to put it in layman's terms, I don't like preaching to the choir. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I want there to be new people, fresh faces, with a difference of opinion, and I want to just to to tell them something uh, that they haven't heard before, in a way that they have they haven't considered it before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh, and I I remember I remember the book that I read um, by Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, Iola Leroy, her novel. 
that was published Uh-oh, in 1892 yeah. and then reissued uh-huh. um, um, on Penguin um, with uh, an introduction, introduction by Hollis Robbins and edited by Henry Louis Gates in 2010. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, yes, because I have uh-huh. it on my bookshelf. Like, yeah, so she's a part of my life. I remember Iola, Iola Lever. That's, yeah. that's an interesting story. <laughs> I highly mm-hmm. recommend yeah. people read it. It's really well done. Right. You know, plus she yeah. has all these great collections of poetry. Oh, I'm so happy, you know, to, to lift her name up in our conversation. Oh, thank you so much for yeah. the selection. <laughs> um, that was just perfect, perfect, perfect. Oh, yeah. wow, so great. You know, when I find people like that, it, 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 you know, sometimes when you're doing something, you've been doing it for a while, you're like, yeah, wow, it's getting kind of monotonous now. But it was <laughs> to un- uncover a new person, you know, it breathes new life into what you're doing, you know, because you have to, I have to go and explore, you know, what was their relationship with Douglas, you know, and what did they have to say? And, you know, so, so that's, that's what keeps me, uh, that's what keeps me motivated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been really lovely, you know, talking to you. We've been trying to get together for, I don't know, quite a few weeks, but yeah, this was a yeah. perfect moment. It worked out very yeah. well, and uh, yeah, and good luck on you know finding someone that will come out and 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 take you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I, but, I, I but there's the zoom lens, in, right? In the I mean, like the person yeah. have to get close to you, so you know you get yeah, the exactly, zoom lens. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna be in a look. We're gonna be in a cemetery, you know, so because <laughs> I'm gonna shoot it in a cemetery, right? I mean, I, oh. I'm gonna have Frederick Douglass walking around in the cemetery reciting that poem, right? And uh, so we we ain't got to. I don't think none of them got the got the corona. <laughs> I don't think so either. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Well, keep us posted on how that's coming along. <laughs> okay, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you want to come on the air and talk some more about some of your other other, other favorite ancestors, you know, because um, we could talk more about about suffrage and about the vote because, you know, this year is an election year, you know, for the presidency, and we have people figuring, trying to figure out, like, okay, well, do we postpone the election? Well, that's that's like against yeah. the Constitution. Yeah. and. And yeah. do we do it all right. online? How do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. are conversations that are well, happening right now. Absolutely, and it's actually one of the. Uh, uh, what, you, you know, you were reading in my bio that I'm a member of mm-hmm. an organization called First Amendment First Vote, uh, which yeah. is a is a uh, an organization based out of uh, New York that mm-hmm. uh, encourages women to. Uh, get involved in politics. And so what they do is they put on uh, workshops and history workshops and living history workshops where they introduce young high school girls to the history of the women's movement and uh, women in politics in, in an effort to encourage them to become politicians and become actively engaged in politics. So that's one of the uh, things that I do that is off the stage that um, that uh, puts you know puts some foundation behind what I'm doing you know um, is to actually work with with these young young girls uh, to hopefully have one become a, 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 the next senator or the next congressman or the next president. 
Mm, nice, nice. That's great. That's really great. That's really great. Yeah. Well, cool. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to get in there? Uh, why don't you give your website address one more time for folks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can um, uh, dial in directly to uh, www.scpublishing.com. That's S as in spiritual, C as in concepts, publishing.com. Or you can just uh, really Google Nathan Richardson Poet or Nathan Richardson Douglas, and uh, and I'll come up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've done all those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you and you do come up, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna um, close out um, with that wonderful. Um, uh, Song from the soundtrack of the film Harriet. Uh, what did you think about that oh. that film? Oh, it was it was great. It was great. I, I saw the movie. As a matter of fact, uh, myself and another uh, an actor, uh, mm-hmm. we were hired to come to, to one of the premieres that they had in, in Northern Virginia. And mm-hmm. so, uh, if you can imagine Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman sitting in the crowd eating popcorn <laughs> with everybody else. <laughs> So was yeah. was the same actress that performed um during the four hundred um year uh commemoration uh events um that weekend in August last year? No, was it was 20, another uh, this okay. this this lady, uh her name um is uh Camilla and she's from, from Richmond. Um Mm-hmm. They they live near each other and and don't know of each other, but it's kind of it's kind of mm-hmm. funny. But uh, they they hired they hired. I, normally, if someone calls me and says, you know, do you know a, a, a Tubman? Then I'll recommend either her, or there's another lady that I work with in Maryland. Uh, but in this mm-hmm. case, they had already connected with uh, uh, this lady, uh, and uh, she was she was great. She was great, and we took mm-hmm. hundreds of pictures. Uh, everybody that attended the the premiere wanted to get a picture with Douglas and Tubman, so it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those those scenes in the film are just phenomenal. What did you think about uh, the actor? I don't remember his name who played Douglas. Well, you know, I actually, believe it or not, I actually auditioned for that part. You did? But they were looking for, oh. yeah, yeah, because they shot the they shot the movie uh, in Virginia, uh, oh. and they did the auditions up in Charlottesville. So I drove up there. Uh, an audition, but I, you know, I, I knew I didn't have a chance to get in there because see, he, they were looking for a younger Douglas, of course, and yeah. I do, mm-hmm. I do the elder Douglas, uh, okay. but uh, nevertheless, um, he, I mean, it was just a short, short line, and uh, you know, Douglas only said a, a few words in the movie, and as a matter of fact, when this, when the, when the movie was playing, and and I saw Douglas when he said the words, I was saying them too. <laughs> Because I knew the lines, but I had already remembered the lines, right? It was kind of funny. But uh, but the movie overall, of course, you know, they, they make the movie for for the consumer. And, and it was part history, but it was also part entertainment. And so there was, you know, from a standpoint of a historian, you're looking at the movie and, and you're, picking, you're picking it apart because you know some of the things that they – some of the ways they're telling the story is not actually accurate, you know, so. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. 
and then also, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, painting, you know, some of the villains, you know, sort of giving them some humanity that they don't, ex- that doesn't, that they didn't have, and that doesn't exist. And, right. And and making and making you know bad guys out of the people that are being exploited. Like what? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, Hollywood hasn't changed much, you know, since um, the uh, birth of a nation, right? <laughs> you know that mm-hmm. that model for what a feature film is in this in this particular culture. Um, right. So right. yeah. But um, yeah, but I, I thought I, I, I think um, you know the Harriet Tubman character has some really wonderful moments. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it when she Definitely. jumps off the bridge, you know, and 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 when she, you know, she stands up for her people. Um, and, right. and I love that relationship she has with uh, the free woman of color, you know, that um, right. that she meets uh-huh. and who she becomes friends with. Who is that? Who is that particular uh, character? Um, I do not know. I can't. Okay. <laughs> there you got me. Was, was was she real or was she fictional? Because I mean, was, I'm sure she did. Uh, she was. She was mostly fictional. She was okay. mostly fictional. Okay. Yeah, she was mostly fictional. Yeah. As right. well as the part about the relationship between Harriet Tubman and Mr. Tubman, her first husband. Yes. Yeah. That was that was actually stretched quite a bit. I mean, of course oh. they were they were in love. They got married. <laughs> But once yeah. he decided he didn't want to run away, you mm-hmm. know, it won't like, you know, I got to get back. To, you know, he she came back yeah. one time to get him. And then after that, mm-hmm. it was like. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't know. that Christmas? That Christmas, um, you know, when she went back, was that the Christmas time when she uh, uh-huh. when he didn't want to go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Went right. to her yeah. parents. And yeah. so he didn't he didn't he actually wanted to turn her in, you know. Well, that, that really was actual, a stretch that the, the fictional. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was a real stretch <laughs> to make it out this love story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he he did wow. not. Uh, yeah. He he was he actually threatened to turn her in. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the whole thing around her sister? Um, was that real or was that they were stretching because it wasn't her sister; it was her her husband. Um. I. I you know. I don't know that much about that part of it, but um, mm-hmm. but I, I'll just say overall, you know, it got people's, um, you know, excitement and interest up. Hopefully at that point, the same thing after someone sees me, I'm hoping the same thing. I'm hoping that mm-hmm. someone will go get a book. You know, that that's <laughs> what we want people to do. Don't just look at the movie. Go Go get the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Go get, go get yeah. the history book and read, read, read the facts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have my my Harriet Tubman book right in front of me, but actually, because um, she didn't write a book, she wrote a book with someone, and it's actually available online. Is it through the Library of Congress that you can read her memoir? Uh huh. Yeah, right. and it's pretty good. I read that one, and then there's another one that I read um, because Marcus Shelby, who is a um, who has a an orchestra here, he did a really wonderful um like oratorio. Um he did her story set to music and uh and there there's a uh, I think um Faye Carroll is the person singing. So that's really beautiful and he did a lot of research around that. He's done a couple of those but that was the one um uh on Harry Tubman was, was commissioned by the Equal Justice um Society and it's really, really beautiful. And he talks about right. which book he read to be able to to do, you know, his writing of that story, and um, right. 
I like I said, I don't remember. Do you have any favorite Tubman um, books you want to recommend? Uh, just her her memoir. If you can, like you said, go online and and get that. Uh, and I've read that. That's the one that that uh, she actually sent the manuscript to Douglas to hit, get his endorsement. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And Douglas wrote her back a nice uh, response that I mm-hmm. that I normally I normally have it have it in my pocket that, that particular mm-hmm. letter. When I'm doing a Douglas performance, I normally have uh, the letter that he wrote Tubman in my pocket. So if it comes up, I'll just pull mm-hmm. it out, you know, and and read uh, read his uh, letter to Harriet Tubman. Oh, nice! Oh, well, mm-hmm. pull it out your pocket and email it to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like to read it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, cool! Wow. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, you know, I chose this particular song. Um, that I need to play, otherwise we're going to get kicked off the air before we get okay. kicked off the air. But, yeah, but thank you again so much for such a wonderful conversation and I'm looking forward to having others. Thank you. Thank you again. You take good care. Peace Bye-bye. and blessings. Bye. Peace. I've been walking with my face turned to the sun. on my shoulders, a bullet in my gun. Oh, I got eyes in the back of my head, just in case I have to run. I do what I can when I can while I can for my While the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night 